Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Preparing the live stream. Leave meeting. I got two options. Got it or leave meeting. <laughs> Don't leave. Yeah. Right away. Yeah, Lou, that other account was Lou's account, uh, his wife's account, but um, no, okay, you can't, you can't do uh, live stream. Oh, yeah, sure. So, since it's only $14.99 a month, I said, let me buy my own account. Yeah, where's Neil? There's a little bit of a delay, but we're on. He said he'll be in momentarily. Momentarily. Yeah, that was the word. The big rock star over here, momentarily. <laughs> I guess so. So, so what's going on with you? Anything? I'm writing songs. Um, I actually wrote a song for me and Neil yeah. yesterday, not yesterday night. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird because that seemed to have opened something in me because... The channel has been sort of blocked where the songs come from. Songwriting channel. Oh, okay. I'm just there with the guitar and nothing's happening. Uh, that has happened before, but not like this. I guess my, my uh, how is it? My bar is really high. Yeah. Is that, is that okay to say? My bar is high. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, this. Your bar is set high, yeah. Yeah, the bar is set high, I think so. As, as, as you're American, I have to ask this because in one of the Stratovoy songs, I walk to my own song, it's like, one thing I've learned, you don't know beans. Can you say, can you say that? <laughs> yeah, people do still say that. So I'm right then. Yeah. I'm Everyone's right. like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> no, people do say that. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, the other day I, I sent you a, a video. Some weird Japanese song. Did you listen to yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't listen to it. No. Oh, you did? oh, you should? Well, here. Let me get it on here. Uh, a friend of mine sent this to me, and he's like, this song sounds very familiar. Let me know what you think. So I'm, I listened to it, and I really didn't uh, think much about it. I just, it was, she's singing in Japanese, so it, the music's cool, but it doesn't do anything. Yeah, okay. So then he goes, does anything sound like Stradivarius to you? So I went back and listened, and... <laughs> If you listen to the keyboard part, yeah. Yeah, it's a million light years away. Yeah, right? Yeah, but they do that a lot there. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So Jens, Jens stole it from them. Yeah, it's my song. <laughs> well, he stole the keyboard part. That was. Uh, no, I think it's the other way around. I really think so. Yeah, you think so? They stole a lot of stuff for this Budokai. It's like a, a, some game. This was written in 87, though. Really? Yeah. If Ella and the Boys. Oh, okay. Look that up. 87. I guess I must have picked it up by back then. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, when I was writing songs for, for Infinity, I was like, yeah, I remember that. Nice. 
probably did. It's, it's very catchy. You never know. You never know where to pick it up. There's so much music uh, around. Uh, Neo Hedge, welcome to the show. And he is shocked. I don't know why he's shocked, but he's shocked. He's shocked? Yeah, he's shocked. Shell-shocked. Oh, why is he shocked? I don't know. Ask him about it. Why are you shocked? Tell us. Why are you shocked, Neil Hedge? Are you shocked because Neil Turbin is not here yet? And he was supposed to be here momentarily? Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Where is the guy? I don't know. Let me see if he wrote something. He was very surprised that you are not using WhatsApp. Me? Yeah. Never. I will never use WhatsApp. Ten minutes ago, he is writing to me. Be there momentarily. He's getting his background all set up. <laughs> you, are, you have me. I have it too. I have a wall. <laughs> and you can see a door and another window and that's perfect. Perfect. TV. Perfect. You so. don't need nothing else than him. No, so. I don't need it. What could he possibly have behind him that he needs to hide? Stack of marshals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But uh, have you heard the new Iron Maiden song? I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I might be better off. Is it that bad? It's not bad, but it's... Um, it's very bland. Doesn't really do much. Yeah, that's what I see, how I see Maiden these days since a long time. Actually, yeah, it, it's it's not what I was. Well, it's kind of what I expected because that's what they've been doing for the last few years now. So yeah, that's what I think. I mean, I saw them in a piece of mind tour and Seven Son number Seven Son. So right. I saw. Yeah. What is that sound? That is Neil. He's here, and he does have a stack of amps. Behind him. I don't see him. <laughs> you don't see him. No. How is it possible? How are you, man? Just trying to make sure it's working. Oh, hi. You got it now? Hey, Timo. Hi, Wayne. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's like on? It's like a music show. <laughs> it's not like a music show. I guess guys... not. All cool right. stuff you have. Now yeah. I just see you and me. Now you just see me. Well, what do you want? You're you on the can... phone, right, Timo? I'm on. I have a phone. Computer. Put your phone. I think sideways. that might show everybody, or it might show on, only when people are on one at a time or talking. I don't, I don't know how Zoom works like that. So. Actually, if you, hit you, the, you, if you hit the view, it should show the whole view on yours. Timo's very uh, handicapped when it comes to technology. Me, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't know anything. It's you. You are the host. Me. Oh, yeah, but it's on you. Yeah. you're the one having a problem. Anyway, is it is it me? Yeah, it's you. I can't control what you can see. I'm not a wizard. Participants three. Neil Turbin. We're all here. Can you see everybody? Can you hear me, Timo? I can hear you. Yes. Okay. Sometimes what? you know the bandwidth is is you know challenging in different countries and and so on. Um, if you're on your phone, that might be different than if you're on your computer. If you had. Uh, computer access but it's just a matter of you know what uh, medium you're using right well I'm fine like this I mean now I don't see Wayne but I've seen him like two years already so. <laughs> you don't need to see me anymore 
we're good with seeing me. Uh, welcome to the Team All Talkie podcast. And today we have none other than Neil Turbin. What's going on, Neil? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Wayne and Timo. Thanks, thanks for um, the opportunity to be on on the call with you guys and the interview and the podcast. And it's exciting to be here. And um, yeah, we got things going on. It's cool. Yeah, I noticed that Timo put up a post a few days ago. I was actually away on vacation, and uh, I just happened to check Facebook, and I see uh, a tour with Timo Tolki and Neil Turbin. I'm like, what in the hell is it? How did this even start? I, you know. And, uh, and if you don't know who Neil Turbin is, he's from, you know, the original singer of Anthrax from the, the Fistful of Metal album. But uh, now you're with Timo Tolki. And how did this get started? Well, you know, um, Timo and I met through a mutual uh, acquaintance friend. And, um, you know, we were working with some of the same people, um, you know, just kind of interconnected that way. And, um, you know, it just... I mean, I reached out to Timo saying, hey, you know, I saw him um, when he was in California, you know, I was blown away by his uh, his his impeccable, ir- um, unique tone. I mean, yeah. no guitar player that I thought had a better tone than Timo in, in terms of, you know, live sound, you know, using some fancy products back, back, you know, this is probably around 2005 or six or somewhere about. Six, six. I think you were touring with, if I'm not mistaken, it could have been Into Eternity or Ed Guy or Metal Church or one of those bands because I was friends with uh, those bands. Yes, yeah. I think and, it was Into Eternity. I think. Yes, and um, and that was just an amazing performance, and the tone was like, wow, you know, I was buying some guitar gear at the time, and I'm like, wow, what is he playing through? Um, yeah. The TC Electronics, um, <laughs> uh, was it a ground control or ground station or some name like that, and could have been, could have been. Yeah, and 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 an angle amp and his ESP guitar, and of course, you know, it's Timo's hands that do all the sound, but and the brilliance. Right. But but I was just like, wow, this is, uh, you know, part of the secret is getting some good equipment, and at least it makes me want to pick up a guitar and try to be like my heroes, like Timo, right? When I grow up, <laughs> which will be never. So you <laughs> exactly. So you actually play guitar too? I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, I've done I, I, I not on the level of of you know what what Timo does, or even to be in a, a metal band. You know, I'm doing it more to support the vocals. You know, because mm-hmm. how many times do you need a wrench or a screwdriver, and you know, you need the Phillips head, and you have the other kind. So it's it's one of those, you know, where you know just to support the vocals. And whereas a pianist or a keyboardist or a guitarist or or background music when you need it to sing the song, you know, it's, it's kind of, right. it's just, it's just thinking ahead, planning ahead. You know, if you got to entertain your audience, the show must go on. Right. Even if the right. power goes out. Yeah, exactly. So um, how did this tour get started actually, because you are going to sing like uh, Stradivari- pretty much anything that Timo's done Stradivarius and uh, you know, all his back catalog pretty much. So how did you guys get to decide to do that instead of just make making new songs or whatever? Well, I want Timo to answer some questions too. So well, this, actually, there was this some, is Timo's podcast. Uh, he talks all the time. Yeah, he <laughs> Well, I think it was just that you know because I, I'll, I'll be touring anyway, Latin America, and I'm close to the states. So then I just okay. you know I reached out to him, Neil, and then I asked him straight, "You want to tour with me?" Mm. And it mm. kind of went from there and. 
So I actually wrote a song yesterday night for this tour, and, and it's, it's kind of it's a very good one because it's, I've been like I told I've been a little bit stuck in songwriting lately. So I go to this cabin, which is in the middle of nowhere, right. near Helsinki, in a total forest. There's like deers and you know whatever, and deer, deer, beer. Bears, beer and deer. Yeah, beer and bears. And <laughs> so it's like a yeah, it's like cabin. And yesterday night, I just I really nailed it. It was really cool. And mm. you know, I'm gonna work on that. And on Monday, I'm gonna send him the track to, to be, that he will sing. Beautiful. And you know, I just want to say I have the utmost respect for Timo and and his you know body, his, his career, his catalog of work. And uh, you know, I don't take it lightly that um, you know to step up to the plate with. Um, someone who's worked with not only, you know, Stradivarius and the accomplishments he's made with Stradivarius, but also, you know, Andre Matos being in this band, um, mm. you know, Symphonia, and also, you know, working with people like uh, Ralph Sheepers, you know, the singers from mm. uh, Nightwish and Todd Michael Hall and all the people, you know, from Riot and all mm. of the amazing artists that I probably didn't even mention, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, There's a lot. There's a lot. Ten of them. But it's like, what what incredible artists and and you know of course Timo Timo is Avalon Opera, Metal mm. Opera, uh, you know just someone who who's a you know not just a guitar player but a, a true composer you know true artist and to me I appreciate that because you know I've worked with some folks that you know think differently than just hey you know I want to play a shredding lead on every moment I can get attention you know it's it's a lot mm. different than that you know to uh, have someone on Timo's level because. You know, Timo is creating, you know, uh, audio and visual. I mean, it's all of the above. It's like a whole production. And when you think in those terms, it's like a, a producer of a, of a director and a producer of a movie. You know, you're looking at the the beginning of the movie and the, you know, how it kind of unfolds and it tells the story and how it, you know, the ending might be a surprise. You know, there's all kinds of uh, ways of, of perceiving that. And I, I just think, you know, that's that's a true artist, you know, that's a true composer. And, you know, when you look at the great classical composers, you know, like Chopin or, you know, Paganini, you know, some of the not typical ones you hear about Bach and Beethoven and Mozart, but, you know, some of the other guys that are deeper catalog, you know, and, and I just perceive um, that to be really, you know, where Timo is, you know, in, in the modern day, because, you know, to be a classical composer, I mean, how many of them are there out there? And and to, to be mm. on the level that it was back in the uh, days of, of, you know, those compositions. So I think people that have that kind of intelligence and, and ability to create on that level, you know, symphonically. I mean, it's for me, it's an honor because when I when I was a little kid, you know, I grew up and I was just in my you know preteens. I was in uh, my family's house and one of my, you know, some of my family would play classical music. They had a station back in New York where I'm from called WQXR. And it used to be all classical music all the time. Mm. And you don't think about this stuff, but when you're a kid, it's kind of like programmed into you. If they're playing hip hop and, you know, get your gold mm. chains out. And, you know, I mean, hip hop has evolved, of course, and I'm not bagging on it, but I'm just saying, you know, if it's just like a brag, bragging type of, you know, lyrics and stuff, or, Hey, look at me. I got chicks and a, and a jacuzzi and a gold chain and a, <laughs> and a Mercedes. I mean, 
you know, I believe that that kind of lends itself to a certain form factor of thinking, you know, your, your brain kind of works, you know, the little kid who's three years old may not realize, parents may not realize it, but you're like, you're conditioning this kid to, to see these videos and to act like, you know, where's my gold chain, mom, you know, dad, like where's my, where's my girls in the jacuzzi and where's my, uh, you know, where's my Mercedes? You know, I expect this. I'm entitled, right? That's kind of the, the message that subliminal, subliminally or subconsciously it's, it's going in there. But for me, the message that I got was, you know, all of these mathematical algorithms, all of these scales and all of this, you know, Chopin playing, you know, 64 quarter note triplets and things that, you know, so fast. And so like at first, you know, it's like, what was that? Like a comet going by. Right. But you just, you kind of absorb it. And then your brain starts, you know, working on these, you know, you remember some of these things or you have thinking that kind of go, coincides with that. And to me, I've always been, you know, very, um, I've always loved symphonic music and, and classical composition and, you know, just deeper thinking type of uh, more critical thinking type of music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I did play in a band with, well, myself and I was uh, rehearsing with Claude Schnell from Dio, who's mm-hmm. a Juilliard grad. And, you know, he played classical piano as well as, uh, you know, the keyboards for those glory years of Dio for 10 years. So we were working on his music for quite a long time. So I had, you know, that kind of um, training, even though I was a singer in an anthrax and I was, you know, of course, with recording Fistful of Metal and Road Arm and Dangerous and Gung Ho and all that, the thrash stuff. But, um, you know, evolving as a, as a person, evolving as an artist, you know, people don't know necessarily about those factors or those, um, you know, those, those attributes. But I think that's really mm-hmm. what it's about. You know, someone once said to me, either you got to, either you, either you got to grow or you got to go, you know, it's like one or the other. That's it. I prefer that's to. It. That's it. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. and actually yesterday I was looking up, um, you, you put a new song out with the, your um, Death Riders uh, band. And um, I can definitely hear you really changed your voice a lot since obviously since the, that Anthrax album came out. And um, yeah, I, I think what you're going to do with Timo is going to sound great because you have a different vocal style now, I think. Well, it's not really that. It's not really a different vocal style. It's just, I, I guess Timo could appreciate the, this, this type, type of um, comment and it would be multi-modality. So in other words, yeah, yeah. the modality yeah. of, of being able to, you know, I haven't been trained prop, prim and proper in terms of music theory, in terms of, um, you know, going to uh, university class and getting the curriculum, you know, jammed down my throat and having to, you know, really learn it the prim and proper way. But, you know, I have much respect for folks that do that. And, you know, my way was kind of figure it out, F-I-O. In my, mm-hmm. in my language, I would call it F-I-F-O, figure it fucking out. <laughs> yeah. So because I'm from you know, originally from New York. So like, uh, yeah, they, they, they got to figure it out. You know, they don't, they don't give you an instruction manual, I'm, you know, and I'm a guy. So, you know, they give you the VCR, you, you take the remote control, you start pressing buttons, you know, here's, okay. here's the remote, you know, you got to start pressing the buttons on, on it and uh, hopefully it'll work. And if you press something and it explodes, then I guess it didn't work. Exactly. You know, if it spits the tape out in the old days, that's, it didn't work. But the modality, you know, we're talking about being able to, adapt to Phrygian mode or Lydian mode or Mixolydian mode. You know, the Ramones don't talk about those modes because they don't have those. <laughs> okay, like, don't talk. And I grew up with the Ramones and Kiss and, 
you know, tons of other great bands. And, but, and that's rock music for you. But when it comes to, you know, more sophisticated type of, of writing, you know, I listen to bands like Kansas. I mean, that's a band that's mm. never disappointed me. They've always been consistent and, and out of all of those bands back in the seventies that were, um, you know, these very commercial sounding AOR bands that got a lot of attention on the radio and that were legacy bands. And unfortunately not a single one of them has their original lineup or singer, you know, just the, right. the whole attrition that has happened. And of course, you know, even bands that Timo was in and myself, you know, doesn't have the original singer, right? Doesn't have the original band members, you know. I mean, it's it's it's. Hard. Actually, I am I am the original singer. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. The original singer, you founded Stradivarius, so almost. Yeah, I was almost there from the beginning. I actually I checked you up because they told me about you, and I watched every single YouTube clip I could find. Wow. Yeah, I, I really checked <laughs> you up. No, no. And, I mean, I really, think, especially you know? the live clips. Especially, I was interested because you know. There are many good singers on the records, and then live they don't really deliver. But he did, and I was very impressed what he well, did live. You. Yeah, you know that's that's for me like the whole thing. It's like, you know, I'm a big, I'm a real big uh, believer and supporter, and you know, um, fan and admirer of uh, Bruce Lee. And I know that we talked about that, and we have it in common. And yeah. when I was a kid, you know, you, you grow up on some things, you know, that influence you. Today's kids, they grow up on video games and whatever crap that they jam down their brain on the, the media and, mm. and TV and, you know, whether it be shows that they watch. I don't watch TV. I do some, you know, background acting and some other acting where, you know, I might end up on a show, but I never watch the shows because I actually don't care. Right. I don't watch TV. I mean, yeah, I might watch a movie like dust till dawn or something cool that i might like pulp fiction or something or you know some old some old boris Karloff movies or some old uh abbott and costello shows or stuff like that stuff that was you know iconic you know humphrey bogart's things that they don't i mean they're still great actors they're still great scripts but what i find a lot of today is that they just they regurgitate the stuff and they have to you know copy what they did before and you know, mm-hmm. I was impressed with Marvel when they did, um, you know, Doc was it Doctor, the Doctor movie, Doctor Strange, Strange Doctor Love, Strange. and also um, really Black Panther. You know, those are new new thresholds, new plateaus, and the acting. Right. You know, by um, you know, I was actually talking with the uh, the agent for um, the actor that was in Black Panther, and hmm. you know, I mean, that's definitely a, a new level of awesome. <laughs> But um, going back to the Bruce Lee thing, you know, really the idea is that you have these icons like Evil Knievel, like Muhammad Ali. You know, I I just have the greatest admiration for for who these people were and what they accomplished. And, you know, Bruce Lee breaking barriers, you know, you know, and and coming from a place where, you know, people were trying to stop him from teaching Chinese Kung Fu in in the United States. And, you know, he he was a teacher. He wasn't really an actor. Then he became an actor when a cat, you know, casting director saw him and, you know, everybody that was a lot of who's who and the zoo people were that were in films, you know, and te- in television, you know, they were training with Bruce Lee. So yeah, you know, it's all who, you know, I guess, but have you seen a movie? Have you seen a movie called Yip Man? Yip Man. Um, yeah. Have- Yip, Yip, that is his Yip teacher Man. actually. Yeah. He was, he, he taught Bruce Lee actually. Yes, I have to go watch that because I love to reinvestigate, you know, revisit. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a cool, that's really good move. It's the same thing, basically. You know, he started this Wing Tsung. But I mean, that, you know? that's kind of the reason that I picked up the guitar because, you know, I had a guitar for a long time, but I never really could play it very much. And, you know, it just inspired me. Like Bruce Lee, what I love about him is that, yes, of course, we know that he was he was Kato in the Green Hornet. We know that he was even on Batman because I know because I watched it and I saw him when the show came out. That's, yeah. you know, yeah, that's how young I am. But um, also, I mean, as an actor in, in the film, you know, um, uh, Enter the Dragon. I mean, all of the great mm. movies that he he did. Um, you know, so many amazing okay. movies. And I was such a fan. The guy died at 32 years old. But mm. the reason it's so prolific to me and so such an influence is because, you know, with all of his acting, with all of his fighting skills. I mean, the guy was not very big, right. and he no, was no. able to. He was so quick and so, you know, just amazing in, in what he did. Um, but his philosophy, his philosophy is what really gets me because his wisdom and his insight is just so deep and it's, it's not, um, you know, religious. It doesn't lean, it doesn't discriminate. It's just, you know, pure logic and brilliance. And, you know, there's a lot of different books. There's a lot of different philosophers that one can read. And, but Bruce Lee, you know, he was an amazing philosopher and it's really about what he did with uh, the martial arts, the mixed martial arts. So he, he basically is the, the person that invented MMA you know, by combining different forms. Exactly. And, and to me, I, I take that same, you know, um, incentive. Um, and and I, I look at that and I think, well, you know, I'm a singer and I'm a songwriter, but I need to be able to do these other instruments. I need to be able to play. Like, look at Stevie Wonder. I mean, look at these artists that can pick up, you know, Dave Grohl. They could pick up different instruments and, and express themselves. And, you know, I was doing it vocally. I would write songs and I would try to express myself vocally. Like, here's the riff. Hmm. And that's kind of goofy. You know, you're dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what I do. Yeah. So, so actually <laughs> I sent, <laughs> Timo, I sent Timo, uh, you know, an idea. We're working on the song even before we even started writing the song and sharing it with one another. I said, well, you know, here's just an idea that I had a melody or an idea to, you know, maybe it's something that might, um, perhaps fit into the, the yeah. quality of what we're thinking. But I mean, I, I leave that up to team. I don't try to, you know, force my ideas on anybody, but I think, you know, the idea is like, if it, if it, if it goes into the flow, like if you got a really yeah, exactly. song and you got really slow parts, it's not going to jive. But if you got something that, you know, from a melody standpoint that could work, you know, you never know that that's, so it's, it's always, always be creating. That's kind of ABC of, yeah, yeah. I think. I think when we I should write some stuff together when we meet, actually. We should write some songs and see how, how it flows. Yeah, you know? of course. I, I that's what I think. When do you guys actually plan on meeting? Well, that's as soon as, soon as possible. I'm sure that, um, you know, we're, we're booking this tour right now. I know some dates are, are being booked as we speak. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're trying to fill out that tour. So um, I think, uh, you know, the opportunity is great because – you know, I just feel like the style that Timo already has, you know, and, and what I can bring to the table, I think it's a bit different than um, than what yeah. some of the singers he's worked with have, because yeah. a lot of those singers are very technically excellent and accurate and have, you know, great ranges and great Not style. Really. I think <laughs> <right>. some of them. <laughs> I think from my perspective, you know, we're talking about modalities yeah. and mm-hmm. 
you know, I sing the metal stuff, like the thrash metal, and even right. harder than that if I had to. But I, I mean, I did, I did do that with Onslaught. It was a little bit harder than just your average thrash. It was almost on death metal at times. Mm. But I would say that, um, you know, from a progressive standpoint, I was talking about Kansas. I really appreciate, you know, singing. You know, Kansas, ironically, is a band that really, you know, with Steve Walsh and, of course, now Ronnie Platt, these, these singers are very uh, blues-based and very uh, R&B oriented in their in their selection of of movement and notes and stop and feel so i think that's maybe a you know either you're coming from a classical direction or you're coming from a blues direction of course rock and roll is from blues and great melodies from classical you know so it's kind of a a a melding of those two you know to two worlds so so from my standpoint i mean i can sing straight soul music i can sing straight r&b you know otis redding Al Green, Marvin Gaye, um, Stevie Wonder, um, and more modern people like, um, <laughs> you'll laugh, Adele, Rihanna, Ed Sheeran. Oh, I, love, I, love this. I love Ed Sheeran. But I this really is great like songwriting. Him. Songwriting is oh, yeah, yeah. great songwriting that's great. You know, as a composer, I mean, Timo is a great songwriter, and he listens to great songwriters. I mean, what do you expect? Nice. Yeah. To me, I appreciate that, and that's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a songwriting place, but also... I grew up, you know, not only with heavy music, but I also grew up with, uh, you know, the Jackson Five and Stevie Wonder and Motown and Muscle Shoals. Right. You know, I'm deep into the Muscle Shoals uh, and the Northern Soul and, you know, Memphis Soul. You know, Otis Redding, mm-hmm. yeah. Steve Cropper. That's why I think know, helps Blues Brothers. When you're a musician, that's what I think. You know, kind of helps you in a way is if you stick to heavy metal and, and you just produce heavy metal and that's all you're ever going to do. But if you listen to give you open up your mind a little bit and listen to a different couple genres of music it helps you write different styles of songs you know not just the same old bland things that everybody else is doing in a way i actually i listened to the anthrax record i never heard i never heard it before <laughs> I just just before this because i had this 40 minutes i was listening parts of each songs and i was really surprised about the vocals because i like you know, <laughs> really aggressive and high stuff. And there's a lot of, like, delay or something in the voice, which I, I guess those days they did a lot of that, you know. It's kind of different what I would do, but it's a really aggressive to me, like, yeah, the vocals. Yeah, we were, we were uh, you know, aggressive and from New York. We were certainly that. And um, at the time, and, you know, I mean, I felt that when I left the band, after two years, you know, I, I felt like I did this and I wasn't holding on to the past. You know, I was trying to move on to the next step, which was, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a more melodic approach. Maybe, you know, bands that were out that were more like a Michael Schenker group at the time that I really admired. And, yeah. uh, you know, Thin Lizzy and ACDC. And, I mean, great songwriting, but also great vocals. And, you know, you could, it wasn't just trying to hit the highest note or, on a guitar, it would be, you know, playing the fastest leads and who could do the most uh, notes in a pat in a single phrase and all that. And, you know, it gets to a point, at least for me, where I want to hear a song, you know, I don't, right. it doesn't matter if there's 9 billion, bazillion notes in a. Not at all. Not I at mean, all. Gary Moore is a great example, you know, one note. Yeah, I loved him. I loved him. I saw him live three times. I, I saw him live, actually, three times. Gary Moore. I was fortunate to meet Gary at uh, really? Doc when he at, at the sound check. And also I Ooh. saw him at breaking sound festival in France. So I've seen him a couple of times and got to meet him and, um, you know, very humble, quiet kind of guy. 
to himself. I know he didn't like to get on airplanes. He, he was not <laughs> a, a uh, airplane guy. So I guess maybe that's why he didn't come to the States all that much, but I did see him. Um, I remember when he had uh, Eric Singer in the band, in his band, and he was playing at the Roxy. So I got to, to be at that sound check and, and meet him and, um, which was really cool. And, you know, of course seeing the, I think it was victims of the future tour. No, oh, yeah. yeah. I saw that too. And I saw it in France and it was like, man, that was just the most awesome band. And I mean, the bands that were playing at that festival, I mean, you had Metallica, you had Dio, yeah. you had uh, white snake, you had, I guess, except was supposed to play and they were in the hotel room and they never showed up on stage. So I don't know what happened there, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, when I when I saw him, it was in Helsinki, and he had this kind of hydraulic riser that put put him up, and then he was playing the solo alone. The only thing was that it didn't come down. Uh oh! So they had to get a ladder, you know. <laughs> they had to climb down the ladder. Yeah, that was final. That was final tap. So he was fucking pissed off. I remember that. That wasn't part of the show, but yeah, I can imagine. No, that. no, it wasn't part of the show at all. <laughs> it looks a little bit, yeah. It's it's you know uncomfortable moment, but not really that. No. I'll have to go. I wonder if there's footage of something like that. I don't think so. It was like, I think, 84 or something, 85. Uh, He was really, you know, Gary was really, Gary Moore was really the first one to really take, um, you know, come from like the metal genre or the hard rock heavy genre and really go into like that, that blues direction. Really kind of, I I know that there was Stevie Ray Vaughan at the same time frame, but he really kind of shifted gears to, to, to a big extent. And, you know, I think he paved the way for people like Joe Bonamassa yeah, yeah, I think and, so and all of these great guitar players that are kind of like these child prodigies that are, um, you know, blues players. But to come from metal over to blues, you know, to take one, go from one genre to another, that's not such an easy thing no, to accept. And for me, I'm not comparing myself in any way, but, you know, to go from metal and to go to more of, let's say, progressive rock metal or to go to soul music, you know, R&B. I mean, it's not an easy transition. I mean, I also have a, a hard a classic hard, hard rock band, Bleed the Hunger. So it's kind of like to sing, you know, AOR, you know, retro 70s kind of soulful hard rock songs, you know. Journey. We want to hear you play Metal Thrashing Mad. And, you know, that's what fans <laughs> like say. Exactly. Yeah. They don't understand, you know. They yeah, just yeah. thrash. Well, that's kind of like what Paul Stanley just did with his soul station thing, you know. He just right. just doing soul music now, and people don't yeah. accept that. But you know, it's almost like you're not allowed. Like if you're Black Sabbath, you know, you're not allowed to play like anything but Black Sabbath. Right? Yeah, that's the expectation that's you know imprinted out there in many people's minds. Right. Like imagine Ozzy Osbourne if he came out with, um, you know, Jackson a folk album right. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like poems. Actually, <laughs> yeah, exactly. actually, Bill Ward writes poems, so that that's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it could happen anytime. Well, Timo, you have so many different albums and you know variations. You know, it, you don't just do metal. You you've done no. like, classical albums and stuff like that. So you know, you totally get that. Yeah, but I don't. I never think about it as, as what kind of style it is. I I don't even know, and I don't right. care. Yeah, I just write songs, and whatever comes out, that's really the case. Right. I never thought about what kind of song it should be. It's all about the vibe and the feeling and the emotion you want to transmit or convey. You know, that's really the case right. every single time. Yeah, that's what I like about music. You know, you can pretty much do what you want to do. You know, and if someone yeah. wants to listen to it, then great. Fine, then fine with me. Find something totally. else to listen. Yeah, exactly. To. And of course, me as a songwriter, it's, it's very important to have a good vocalist. You know, to write 
music to to know that yeah. you know I know that the guy can actually sing that. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so can't... here's an interesting question for Timo. So when you're writing these compositions, and let's say you know you're doing something like you know Avalon. Yeah. Uh, and you know that you're working with different singers. Sometimes I would imagine you don't really know like who's going to end up on the song. Is that the case, or do you already know exactly? I don't, not always. Not always. So, do you have to fit the singer to the song, or vice versa, fit the song to the singer? I mean, obviously, I don't, like, I, I don't do that. I mean, I mean, Avalon has. I have four records, and first, first and second, I really knew. I knew the singers before. Like Michael Kiske, I was writing a song for him. Yeah, he's got quite a range, and I mean, a fact, yeah. Halloween, you know, amazing. He's exactly, he's all right. So, I, mean, yeah. I I wrote the song and I sent him the demo, and he said, "I can't do this; it's too high." Yeah, it's high. So I, There's no doubt. Yeah, then, yeah, then I said, "Okay, but you're seeing the same." He he told me straight that I'm not 18 anymore, dude. That's what he said. <laughs> I'm not 18 anymore. I can understand. I mean, yeah, you know. It's, it's a perceived expectation to some extent, but yeah, that's yeah. But then, then I said, like, you do much of time of Halloween. I said, yeah, that's pain in the ass, too. Mm. <laughs> that's what he said, Hard but yeah, of course, he, he sang it, so it's it's there and it's great. What can you say, you know? But you know, I work with I don't, I don't know if you know Jörn Lande, he's like from, yes, from Norway, singer, yes. he's, a, he's an amazing guy, you know, bit of a difficult guy, but with that voice, okay, I don't care. So that was like, I wrote the whole record for him and Russell Allen, Allen Lander. Nice. Oh, that's wow. That, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that came out really well, actually. Oh, the yeah, whole I remember thing. that album. I, I'm just like, it's not registering my brain at first that you were the guy behind the songwriting. Yeah. That's, that was, it, a very, I did hear that album. That's a very cool album. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's mine. It's also, I, I, I play bass and, and, and keyboard and mix, mix the whole thing too. You know, one of my, favorite singers that's from the north as they call it right <laughs> yeah is the north power from the north is um and someone who's a friend of mine who you know has been really cool and supportive and you know i i've always been a big fan of his and his band is uh johnny linquist from nocturnal mm. rights yeah, yeah. And i've just loved that band because of their songwriting and of course you know they they kind of transition from a a very almost death metal darker sound to or there's there's leanings or tendencies yeah. in their music but also the neoclassical and also, you know, very, very uh, accessible, very great melodies. And I always liked his, the sound of his voice. So for me, you know, maybe, maybe he's one of the more commercial sounding singers, uh, but very bluesy and very soulful. And I don't Nothing know. Wrong I, with that. Yeah. I love that singer. I mean, I love him and, and the singing great, great. Um, you know, so I really, I really look into, you know, all of the singers. I've always liked Ralph Sheepers, you know, devil's ground, primal fear. Yeah. You know, and of course, the artists go through different phases. They go through different time frames. So, okay. like even a band like Deep Purple, which I know we have in common as well. So to a Rainbow, and oh, like Rainbow. Richie Blackmore, you know, Richie Blackmore went. He pretty much sounds similar in terms of his his structure and his writing, but I would say there's a big difference between, um, you know, Burn or or pre Burn, you know, with Ian Gillen and. Um, you know, what he did How with Joe Turner, for example. I mean, totally oh, yeah, but, a different yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, like Street of Dreams compared to... Yeah, I love that song. Absolutely. Death Alley, Death Alley Driver compared to oh, yeah. Highway Star time frame. Yeah. Time. You know, more epic, more... 
Have you heard that story about how he wrote Highway Star? Have you heard that story? Because they were on the way to a gig and they were in a van with some journalists and they asked him, so how do you write songs? Well, he has a Stratocaster and said, like this. That's how he wrote the song right there. <laughs> I didn't hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's how he wrote the song. Like this. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the thing. I mean, it's like when people ask you about songwriting, you know, it's like some songs are written differently. And that's obviously one that, you know, it's yeah. probably not one that you would call a formula song. It just came out of, no, no. it was pulling a rabbit out of a hat and he came up with a riff and all of a sudden there it is. Yeah. Many people ask me, how do I write songs? You know, and I, I really don't know how I just tell I, with the guitar because, you know, <laughs> it's really, I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't have really, I don't have a method. I have no method at all. You know, but Timo, what if you don't have a guitar on you and you're somewhere? And you have this idea that comes into your brain, and like all of a sudden, it's actually, I don't, I don't have it. Yeah, that, that, then I hum it down. <laughs> I hum it down to the, you know, for, to the phone. I have a lot of ideas there. So you've done, you've done that before for probably a, more than one song, right? I mean, this is. Well, I don't really. I never use those things, you know, actually. So then I, I just find the time to go to some place, quiet, quiet place, and then there it's gonna happen, you know. So I don't have nothing in, in like. From before I wrote, I I, I I like to write new songs all the time. That's what I do. Yeah. And the interesting and, the interesting thing that you brought up was writer's block, which you know happens to us all at times. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I would say it happens when you're trying too hard to, you know, when you're pushing too hard to. Let's say you have to write a bunch of songs for an album, for a label, for a deadline, and all that. And it's yeah. like, here's an example that I would compare to songwriting. You know, if you're going on a date. You're supposed to, you know, this girl is very lovely and, and all this. And you're supposed to just, you know, everything's supposed to be perfect and you're supposed to fall in love and live happily ever after. But it, it's like you'd be forcing yourself. In other words, maybe this person doesn't like you, you don't like them, or it's the chemistry is just not vibing. And, you know, it's one of those kind of things. It's like if, if the song is not quite right, let's say you got, got the song 75% of the way there and you just – you're trying to add more lyrics or you're trying to add more melody or parts to the song and you're just, it's not happening. I mean, what do you do? Do you put the song on a, on a shelf for a little while and come back to it? Because for me, that's what I would have to do. I'd have to say, you know what? I forget it. I forget it. Yeah, I can't, you know, I can't force okay. it. I know if I don't nail it down in 30 minutes, I'm not going to get it that day. That's what I know. I can know you exactly, come, you know. But can you come back to it tomorrow or next week? No, never. So you don't come back to it? I don't come back ever to that. I write really? new stuff. Yeah. So I bet there's some really cool ideas, Wayne, that he's got on his shelf that he hasn't come back to that we could probably revisit. I'm, yeah. But, uh, I'm sure. I just probably write, write new stuff, you know. I understand. It's really, I, I, I write most of the songs really fast. It's like even 10, 15 minutes. Some of the best songs are written that way. I think so. Because you don't, you don't, I don't use brain for writing songs. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I don't think. When I start to think, I cannot write. Yeah. You know? so, it man so it's more of a manifestation is what you're... Yeah, it's really that. It's like I receive things, I believe. Well, that, that's a powerful statement. And to me, that's like... To me, that goes back to Bruce Lee, like transferring energy. It's yeah. Like energy. I think, yeah, I think, I think it's exactly that because that's the only explanation I can have for that. How, how is it possible to write a song in 10 minutes or five? Because no. yeah. music is sound energy. And sound vibration. Yeah, it's, it's totally that, you know. 
It's totally that. Emotions is energy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. energy and, I, and frequencies is the way that the world was built. Uh, exactly. Some people, some people think that a bunch of slaves did it with rope. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny with Neil because he's a very expressive guy, and, you know, we have this he WhatsApp does. conversation. He, he writes like a thousand words, yeah. being American probably, coming from that place. And then I write, that's very nice. Three words. <laughs> so sometimes I think it's maybe he thinks the guy doesn't even read them or something. But I I read everything you write. Yeah. I don't I don't really. Sometimes you know you gotta you gotta explain yourself. But um, yeah, I know I, I I really I like the way you do things because you're already you really go into that whatever it is is I really did. I like that. Well, I hate the people that write like three sentences or, or three little words and then you know it's kind of just like ends the conversation. Yeah, I, I'm just you know I I'm not that expressive. So. Yeah. Well, how about an sometimes. I'm sometimes like that, you know. <laughs> Interview is different because you actually see people and you talk, and it's, it's like yeah, a it's easy exchange do. of things. But you know, WhatsApp writing is—you lose a lot of nuances. You, you lose emotions. You don't—you don't really know what the person is feeling. You know. Yeah, you've got to know if you're sad. You emailing and texting because it definitely takes out the <laughs> the, the, the uh, body language and the the visual part, but. That's what I mean. Exactly. How about how about those interviews, Wayne? I'm sure you must have done some interviews, or actually both of you guys, Timo and Wayne, when you know if you've had some people on the on the broadcast or the or the podcast, where you know, yes, no, uh, yeah, well, true. Well, maybe one or two people that did that. Yeah. And, I mean, it's <laughs> like like after you've asked your whole list of questions, and they say yes, yes, no, yeah. Yeah. no, <laughs> absolutely. So sometimes, sometimes no. it's the only yeah. answer. If this question is kind of stupid, you know, it's like, okay, well, yes. And it's so yeah. dry. So, so, yeah, so, so yeah. Far, I've been doing this for, what, since 2018. And every guest has been really cool. I, I maybe had one or two that was kind of like hard to keep the conversation going. But so far, that's that's about it. Everybody else has been pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're doing a, a 30 to 60 minute interview, you know, that's your expectation. And, and, <laughs> right. and then you got someone who like answers all the questions in eight Eight minutes, 30 seconds. It's like, well, yeah, you answered every question, all 20 of them. And like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. What are we asking next? Like, uh, what was it like remake? You know, what was it like on tour with the Eagles? I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, then you get some that uh, go on and on and on. Like I had uh, Yorn Landy. I, I had him on the show and I actually talked, we'll to, him like for, oh, I, I talked to him for like two or three days. Because his answers <laughs> to every question were like almost an hour long. Wow. Well, you know, that's all right. I mean, at, at least people like they express themselves and they're they're being real, and they have and, they, and they're so into it that they want to, you know, they want to yeah. they want to get to the place where they're going to. And yeah, yeah I, I guess um, you know we can all learn from from that and try to keep it concise. And I, I myself am guilty of that at times, but you know, I think <laughs> true fans, you know, they want to know more information, they want to learn and you know, to get inside the head of some of these artists that they look up to. And for me, you know, I, I don't hold any, pull any punches or hold back. It's like, you know, why, why, why not be authentic and be real, you know? Right. You know, yeah, in this culture, where, where, I, show, where right? I come from this, I mean, my country has social distancing before COVID. You know, does everybody laughs to that, but it's true. I mean, in this country, people are really not expressive at all. So they keep distance before the fucking virus already. You know, that's the thing. So it was no big deal to them already. Not at all. Not at all. I keep uh, distance from assholes. I think that's a better <laughs> gauge. You know, if you find out that that's the way they treat people, you know, you know from what the way you feel when you walk away. If they tra- treated you bad before, like 
why expect anything different? Right. Um, Neil, next... before me and Timo had you on here, uh, he was saying that you were a very uh, big on conspiracy theories. Well, I wouldn't say uh, that word is something that I would associate myself with, but I would say because the, the thing is, is that um, it's going to be a long one. That no, that, <laughs> that's okay. That you word, you got time. That word was invented by a three-letter agency so they could dispel people from oh. asking questions. So the real question is. Do you believe that there are un- unidentified uh, aerial phenomena, UAPs as they call it in the, you know, the clandestine groups of government? Hmm. Do you believe? Do you believe that? Have you ever seen anything, or do you believe in unidentified aer- aerial phenomena, hmm. otherwise known as UFO? Yeah. Not the band, but I love them though. I do too. Actually, no, have you I ever have. seen anything? Have you ever experienced um, once? Yes. You have experienced. I, in a, I have experienced something once, and my wife did too. She did. I had something paranormal. My wife did, but uh, me, I saw. I was in uh, my my wife's sister died, and we were at her cemetery visiting. It was getting dark, and uh, we were with some friends or whatever. And me and the other guy was just looking up in the sky at the stars and everything. All of a sudden, we saw something move one way, and move back the other way, and then disappeared. Okay. So it wasn't. So it was not a, a pigeon with a. Uh, and it was you know, not a York, right? It wasn't. A, it wasn't a giant pigeon with a skateboard. Uh, eating a, <laughs> eating Unless he had a flashlight on his head. No, it was not a pigeon. Well, he could have been eating a hot dog because they got some good ones in New York, right? And it could have. It could have been a street hot dog. vendor and you know pigeon with a hot dog and it could have looked. When like I when I when I said this conspiracy, I don't I don't mean in offensive way. That we talk about a lot of things. I, and for example, I'm watching I like this, this now. Sorry, Maybe you see this. Offensive to me. Do you see this? Or is that? Um, I can't think of his name. Who's that? I, I, I don't know, but it's it a out. JFK assassination theories. It's like oh, YouTube. You're still watching that stuff. stuff? I love it. Absolutely. I well, watch it know, every day. You know, I didn't take it in any, any offensive way. Um, it's not like, you know, the word is because English is like my mother's tongue. But I think, I think that the word conspiracy as uh, JFK would actually say himself is repugnant. And I think mm-hmm. that that word is, it's kind of like, Everybody that questions, you know, a UAP or UFO phenomenon, oh, they must have a tinfoil hat on. And the way that it was treated right. for years and years in the media across the world is, oh, you must be crazy. Let's put you in the loony bin because you're looking at, you're thinking things are flying through the sky. Well, let me just, let me just kind of address that really quick. So there's things at the bottom of the ocean. Now, mm. if you go down too deep in the ocean, your freaking head will explode. Like, in other words, the right. pressure, you can't go down 5,000 feet. So there's right. things down there that the human humans have not seen before. In other words, there's exactly. things that are ancient, and there's things that are down there that we don't know. And mm. it's there. So right. it's kind of like um, things that are – like they talk about the invisible enemy. I think one of our uh, leaders of the past uh, uh, like to use that word. That phrase. Well, <laughs> it's pretty much invisible if it's at the bottom of the ocean and you haven't seen it. But I would say that um, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. And that goes back to my philosophy of FIFO, figure it fucking out. So <laughs> there's some shit down there that you don't want to see. Like there's some, like they have, they showed, uh, I don't know, some of the stuff on, on social media where it shows like the 10 strangest creatures. And, you know, there's some strange looking scary shit that's down there. Oh, yeah. There's also archaeology. There's also things that would be, you know, would change the course of history and, and understanding and comprehension. So I think, you know, having a having an open mind, that's one aspect. Being a critical thinker, 
Some people, the way that they think is, I don't want to hear any bad news. Right. Well, you take the good with the bad. It's like, sorry, but reality is reality. Like the surgery is going to be this. The operation is going to be, they're going to have to cut open your knee. They're going to have to put in a, you know, a, a replacement knee. And you're going to have to go through physical therapy. And that is the reality. Now, you may not want to hear about that. And it may suck. And it may be very painful, excruciatingly painful. But that is reality. So for me, the kind of person I am is a realist. I would like to know what's really going on. What, you know, where are you getting those parts from? And are, are those parts going to break down? Are they going to cause a problem later? I mean, those are the kind of questions I want to know. I don't have that problem, mm -hmm. but I, I had a family member that did have that surgery. And it's like, so I understand. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that I want to know, I don't want to find out, you know, like five years later that, Oh, guess what? You know, Apple doesn't support this product and they don't allow anyone <laughs> to buy the, you can't buy that product because they made sure that the company burned, you know, any extras. So you can't like, like if you got a Tesla and you know, you can't like, like you got uh, what is it? Rats, rats yeah. crawl into it. They can't, they eat all the wires. Oh, sorry. We can't fix that. Buy a new one. So, you know, we're not going to give a warranty on that. Just buy a new one. You know, it's only 80 grand for a Tesla or 50 or whatever it is. But, but it's like, just buy a new one. The, the rats ate it. We don't know what happened. We're not in charge. of that. <laughs> Same thing with the niece. It's like, you know, you read about the stuff. Oh yeah. You know, sorry, it causes cancer and it makes, you know, it makes you sterile and makes your, makes your testicles fall out and your brains turn to, to wax. You know, it's like, Oh, well that's nice. <laughs> I rather ask those questions up front. So that makes me a bad person because I want to know now. I don't want to know then. Right. You know, before they go and do something to you, I would rather know what that is. And I would rather know exactly. And if they can't tell me, then that's not an acceptable answer. And I don't care <laughs> if you know, God sent them. No. And that's that's where I'm coming from. Like, if God sent them, that's cool. Where's your ID from God? Because if you don't have it, then get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> true New Yorker. Period. This is, this is really, I don't know. This is a true New Yorker. What? Yeah, but, I mean, uh, you want to know what's in that material that's go. I mean, I'm using this knee thing as, a, as an example. Like, if they're putting this thing in your knee, like, I want to make sure it's not going to be like, I don't know if you guys ever owned a pair of uh, Nike sneakers yeah. and had them in the closet. Yeah. And they started going bad. Like the rubber started, like the polyurethane yeah. started cracking and breaking. And like all of a sudden you got this powder. Nice. And all of a sudden this, this this beautiful expensive sneaker that you had that you thought you were saving, the thing just disintegrated by itself. <laughs> Imagine if that was your knee. Like, holy shit, I can't stand up, you know. Right. I mean, that's not cool. And that would make me slightly uh, disturbed about it or aggravated. And, you know, it's like you just had the surgery and it took you like six months to nine months to get the, the knee back working so you could walk or properly go through, you know, physical therapy. And all of a sudden the damn thing is disintegrating like a Nike sneaker. I want to know, like, <laughs> what's going on here? You know, and that's and that's just the nature of, you know, my I guess maybe I read too much science and physics and, you know, maybe too much, um, you know, manuals, too many getting too granular in the details. But I think, you know, to understand something, it, it basically comes from the Michelangelo school of, of thought. Cause you know, I've done a bunch of work with Michelangelo playing live with him, and, you know, good, good friend. And, you know, one of the things he says is, you know, to become an expert at something, you've got to put 10,000 hours in, you know, to be, that's very know, true. That's very true. But I always go back to the other part of that. It's like, if you put 10,000 hours into something the wrong way, then you'll be an expert <laughs> at the wrong way. You'll be a master of not knowing how to park your car in New York city. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> like, if you, if you learn to do it the right way, and then perfect practice makes perfect. So that's really the gauge here. So having an ego about it and thinking that you're doing it the right way and you're glorious, well, that's not great because it's like getting instruction from someone like Timo who knows how to do it the right way, who knows how to, you know, share the, the, the like, like someone who has that form factor who already does it, you know, in an impeccable way. You want to learn from someone who has that, like a Bruce Lee, you know, if you can learn those kind of forms from a master, then you're, then you're going to be able to practice those after you've learned them or shown remember, them. Remember what he said? He said, be water, my friend. Remember that? It was, be water, my friend, because water that, is going, you know. And that's one of my favorite uh, concepts. But for me, I think it's misinterpreted. I think the surface of it is, you know, a big joke. Be like water, my friend. You know, it's like, ha ha. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. but to me, it's like the most powerful thing about that, that whole idea, the concept is being formless. That's like a, what it meant. Like I think that's what it meant, actually. I think yeah, exactly. exactly right. And being formless, like you form to the teapot or being adaptable. And this, this yeah. is in life situations where, exactly. you know, not being, being formless and being, you know, someone who can adapt to certain, you know, changes in the environment. I think as, you know, doing some of these uh, TV yeah. shows and movies that I've done, it's like this, this day they want you to work, you know, being in a, in a suit and tie. And the next day they want you to work in a prison. You know, in the in the yard on the prison, and the next day they want you to work at a at a at a party. You know, you're one of the party guests. So it's like these things change, and you have to adapt. Of course, you need the wardrobe for it. But I think music is also like that. It's a, it's refreshing in in music when you have songs that have like a part, like you weren't expecting it, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's like a reggae vibe, or there's a cumbia, or there's um, you know, double time or halftime or a breakdown. It's just it's like the same old stuff. It works for some bands. I mean, no doubt that yeah. the, Ramones, the Ramones are an amazing band and they were able to, you know, stay with limited number of chords, limited number of um, musicality uh, factors, but they, they still were an amazing band and they still, you know, they had a great singer and a great, their songs were great and they, and they just, they pulled it off. But I think that I think, I think with, with Bruce Lee, I think it was a lot to do with it. You never knew what he's going to do. You never knew because his technique was kind of formless form. It has no form because there were so many things together combined plus new things, you know. So that's why when you had a fight with the guy, you never knew what to expect, you know. And that's why it was superior, I think. You know, also in thinking, he was like that. Yeah, when you heard that noise, ah, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he kicked you in the head, and he's only like five foot something small, you it's know. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like okay, well, I guess he knows how to be flexible and be like be formless because he sure knew how to you know being fast and I, I think it comes down to being an mvp and that's why i wanted to pick up the guitar because it's like what happens if your singer can't do the show and you got to sing mm -hmm. what happens if your guitar player can't play the show and you got to play it like or, or you don't get paid and you don't you, you can't get gas to get to the next city i mean i just try to think like that well it just implores me it inspires me to 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 get you know, to go in that direction to try to be better than I am. And, you know, I think it's just it, 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 to uplift other people, you know, to uplift yourself. I think that's, it. that's exactly that. it. Yeah. And that's, that's the way Bruce Lee inspires me because I think that, you know, he's like, he, he reminds me of the same um, spirit of excellence that Michael Jordan has, you know, of basketball and, and, yeah. you know, Michael Jordan, he played in the playoffs, um, you know, with a, uh, a very high fever 
and the flu. And of course, you know, that would never fly to, in today's world, uh, the way that the fear factors out there, but, Oh God, you know, he's sick. Oh my God. He's sneezing. Oh my God. We can't have him anywhere here. <laughs> because he'll, sneezing he'll, he'll make everyone dead because he's sneezing. You know, you can't have a cold. <clears throat> but, but the idea is that, you know, Michael Jordan was playing basketball with two teams. You know, he was totally had the flu. He was sick. That was putting everyone at risk. But in, in any event, that's not the focus of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he pushed himself to be better than everybody who wasn't sick to be able to score as high as he did, to be an MVP, to be basically like a Bruce Lee who who has these multiple forms and to be formless and to just, you know, to, to rise above and to, to rise to the moment. And I think that's really, you know, my feeling about uh, doing this tour with, with Timo Tolki and, and being able to, you know, sing the Stradivarius songs, sing any songs that he wants to do, you know, from Avalon or from Symphonia or from... Uh, revolution renaissance or you know even some of uh my songs that i have with anthrax death riders bleed the hunger but you know i think it'd be a a really exciting opportunity that's gonna be really nice because i haven't been there since 2006 when we had the tour and we toured the whole states i saw everything so i didn't know that yeah yeah it was 2000 this was that tour what you saw in la well you were it was beautiful it was an amazing tour and and, and, and another thing I want to dispel, and I just want to go on record saying it, you know, like people make comments, like I read a comment, you know, we all read these comments and they say comments about me all day long. So, you know, I thought that I came up with this idea and it was called Villains and Vagabonds. And Timo just, you know, he said, wow, that's it. That's the name of the tour. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I thought to myself, you know, what, like we're vagabonds. We're always traveling. You know, we're, we're always going from town to town. We're always on the road and we're always moving you know, we're a moving target. And then I, I thought, well, we're the villains, you know, the, the bad guys, you know, people want to play us as they want to demonize us as we're these bad people. Like we did something to hurt somebody or did something wrong. And it's like, you know, I read this press and all this stuff and people say, Oh, I'm this terrible, awful person because, you know, other people are looking for, you know, a pat on the back or something. And it's like my, my attitude's always been share and share alike and be part of the team and spread the love. Not, not exactly. I never had a look at me attitude. That was never for me. You know, I, I just happen to be the singer and, you know, if the singer gets uh, attention for whatever reason, well, okay. But you know, I don't really, I'm not really. I actually, I wrote a song for Stratovice called Solo for Vagabond. Oh, wow. No. Yeah. There's a song like I can send it to you. It's, it's kind of, I think you'll like the song. I can't wait. But that song, that song I wrote yesterday, it is called this villains and vagabonds. That's the name of the song. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, now. Villains and vagabonds. So, so with that being said, you know, I hear this stuff about Timo and I'm like, Oh, Timo, you know, Timo's like, Oh, Timo's a nutter. You know, Timo's out of his mind. He lost his mind. It's like, really? We just had a conversation and you know, there's nothing at all to, to make me feel like, Oh, well, you know, we all have good days, bad days and days that are maybe not good or bad. They're just somewhere in between. And, and it's like, you know, when you get to the point in the music business where you say, you know, well, here, take everything, Here's my, here's my badge. Here's my gun. Here's my uniform. Keep your fucking job. Like goodbye. Like I can't deal with this. This is just like it's 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 the pressure, the the uh, you know, like there's got to be pressures in different bands where you have people that want control and they're vying for control. And the thing that I appreciate very much about Timo and not knowing him for as long as you, Wayne. I mean, I, I've seen Timo. I've been a fan of Timo, but I'm sure you know him for longer. 
But the thing is, I've never seen any conduct or behavior that's out of sync of, of being normal. I mean, he's, he's not done anything that I've seen that's not normal, that's not typical. And there's plenty of people that do stuff that's absolutely like, they, did they really say that, like in front of people? Or did they really- <laughs> well, I, I've done because I have a very bad sense of humor. Okay. So that gets say, me into trouble a lot. Must, you, know? you must not have been friends with him on Facebook for quite long. Yeah, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> but, 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 but the idea is that, you know, for people to say, oh, you know, they're, they're all of a sudden your, your psychiatrist, your psychologist, they're going to evaluate yeah, you, tell you. Oh, well, you know, this person's crazy. Well, you know, I mean, you don't have a crazy hat that you came on with. You know, you didn't start up. Like, check it out. <laughs> I guess he has to. <laughs> yes, those were not. Come on with real. a fucking crazy hat, you know. You didn't. Oh, you can't even see it. <laughs> can't see it. It just disappeared. It goes. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You didn't come in with a crazy hat and say, hey, man, I'm fucking Tebow. Yeah. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. they would say, hey, man, Tebow's a little bit out there, huh? But he's not. And. It's just, you know, I think I think it's the same thing that happens to me. You know, they try to say, oh, you know, Neil's this or he's that or he's an ego guy or he's this or that. Like, ego guy. Some people told me that you're a very difficult person. Oh, I'm difficult because because I have a vision. He's been difficult. Because I have an idea about what I want to do. He doesn't let anybody talk. I, I, I never judge people like what, what somebody's telling me about someone. I want to make my own you know, judgment. That's yeah, it's the way about what your vision is timo and, and and even about the song that that is currently in, in in you know work in progress it's like i'm not pushing my idea that i sent over to timo i even had a guitar idea just a melody but it's like yeah. that it's great and if it somehow works great but it may be a different tempo maybe the melody can work or maybe it can't but you know that's not something that i take personally or i think oh well you know i want my idea i want to put my name on it i mean Honestly, we were talking about songwriting. I mean, if you write the whole song and the lyrics, power to you. I mean, that's great. It's less work for me. And, mm. you know, if that's the way it comes out, great. But, you know, I think each song is different. Everything's a different creation. And That is and, very true. Yes. You know, sometimes you, you just need to, you know, maybe you're going to put less into that song because, you know, the per, the other party had more, um, you know, vision on it. And they, they were able to put the whole thing together. I mean, I've. I've written songs where I had the, the solo, the guitar solo too, and the drum feel and, you know, the different uh, riffs in the song or changes. And it's like, and then there's other songs where, hey, the bass player came up with, um, you know, riffs that came, that were put in the song, the guitar player, the bass player, the drummer had an idea for an intro. I mean, these things happen. So I don't come in there with like, hey, man, I want to put my name on this thing. But I've been in bands. No, where- no, I, I never thought of it that way. I mean. This song was born out of, the, you know, my expectation of how cool the tour will be. And as I see you as a person, mm-hmm. what we've been talking about, you know, and then it just comes out. It's a really cool song. That's it. You know, I take your energy. I take the energy. I get the vibe. That's how I work. I, I just think that, you know, it's it's unfair for, for people to, um, you know, make presumptions about people that they don't even know. Like, they don't really know. I, I'm used to that. No worries. They don't know it's me. Yeah, I know. Us, I know. They're calling us this name or that name. And I think that's where Villains and Vagabonds comes from. You know, it's kind of that feeling. And the song's being written. But, I mean, that is the feeling, the, the vibe. And it's like, you know, exactly. people that, it, it's as simple as this. People that, you know, I guess when, when it comes to energy, this is a deep, deep thing, but it, but it relates to love as well, because love is an energy to me. Love and fear are both energies. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not emotions, but they're energies. So love energy is the way that I roll. And for me, it's like if you can't 
I mean, my, my goal is to uplift people. That's my objective is to take people and make them feel good and make, and lift them up, not make them feel bad. I don't want to make people, I don't want people to walk away from a conversation or an interaction and feel bad. I mean, that's never my objective. Even if they're not, even if they're not nice to me, I don't want to make them feel bad. That's just not who I'm, I'm, that's not who I am, but it's energy that we're talking about. And that same energy, like they talk about the human, um, you know, the biology of a person. What I find is, is that, you know, you have, you have these cells in your body that re that re, you know, like your hair grows, your nails grow. Don't think that everything else in your body is not changing because it is. Mm. And like your liver, it's going to regrow. Not, not if you lose it, but your liver is regrowing. In other words, the cells in that liver are changing every eight weeks or something like that. So in other words, it's brand new cells. So the way that the body works from my understanding of science is that it's actually the electrical, you know, because we're, because the way that we're made up, it's this electrical energy. So we have voltage voltage in our cells. So this voltage, if your voltage is low, so old cells don't get repaired, but new cells grow, right? So your body, if it's making new cells as you get older, and if it doesn't, then you die. I mean, that's it. So if your body can't make these new cells to regrow these other, these parts, you know, for your nails to grow, for your hair to grow, for your liver to regrow and so forth. So this voltage, this one doctor was talking about this, and I believe that it's pretty accurate that, um, you, you know, if, excuse me, if, you're, if your voltage yeah. is low, it's like a battery that can't recharge anymore. It's it an energy. can't repair. Energy low. So, so everything for uh, us humans is about, like, we're taking – supplements right like you're taking magnesium and zinc and all this this metal guess what you're made out of metal and water and you know that's why we can be electrocuted because we're there's electrical current in us we have voltage so if your voltage is too low then you're not going to function properly your brain won't even work i mean like things are not working so we want to be at optimal levels we want to have that voltage and without going into you know i mean if you call that a conspiracy then that's fine but that's you know it's It's just just a word I would call word. it I would call it quantum physics and quantum you know level thinking and understanding of of being open minded to you know understanding the shit they never taught you in school. I mean, for Christ's sake, we're gonna we got, we're gonna have long conversations, man. We, we, <laughs> we didn't even get to hear in school about you know economics, like how do you manage your budget, like your checkbook, like they never taught right. that. It's like what the hell was school all about? Because they couldn't even teach you how to like get by and how to treat other people. Like these would be good classes to to give to people. We certainly need them today in today's world. We needed them back when I was in school. Mm. Nevertheless, I think that the real core point of what I was trying to make by bringing that up is that it's all about energy. It's all about vibrational frequencies and energy. So we're playing the guitar. We're making frequencies happen. We're building pyramids with frequencies, sound frequencies. Of course, it may not have been us, but however they were built, it was sound frequency. And we're also creating vibrations that people are feeling. In fact, we're having this interview, this podcast, and people are feeling a vibration from this. There's a certain vibrational energy that mm-hmm. they're feeling. And to me, that's what it's all about. It's like that, that BB King said it best. And, and I asked him, I said, BB, I was there with you on new year's Eve. And, you know, we're there at the strand and Redondo beach. I was watching you play. I'm sitting in the back of his tour bus with him, with a friend of mine who was from Finland, radio mafia, Finland. So okay. interviewing him and, you know, I, I never thought of myself as an interviewer at the time, even though I ended up, you know, doing 100 episodes with the metal voice. But I'm there talking to BB and I just asked him a question like an interviewer. I said, hey, BB, what are you what were you thinking on the stage? I asked Dio, Ronnie Dio the same type of question. 
Mm-hmm. And said, so what were you thinking that that moment, that particular moment, you stopped playing, you, you put your guitar, like kind of let it down and you're just grinning from ear to ear. And I, and you know, when, when I asked Dio, he said, that's my stage. And he looked me in the eye. But when, <laughs> when, B, when BB said it, BB said to me, Neil, he just looked at me it's from here to here. You know, that's I'm just I'm saying that part. He just says it's from here. To here. Yeah. And I was like, thank you, Mr. BB. That's all I needed to know ever. <laughs> that's like the best <laughs> information. Like, I think so too. It's just pure, you know, and it's like that, that connection. And, and one thing that, you know, I do this thing called vocalfirepower.com. I, I do, um, you know, online vocal coaching. And one of the things that I, that I teach is something that you'll never learn in music school. Like they don't teach you that connection. They teach you about theory and they teach you about mm. you know, chords and modalities and they teach you about, you know, uh, live performance. But how do you learn about a connection? Like that's, mm. that's metaphysical. I mean, that's, you know, how do you make a connection with a person? I mean, isn't that right. kind of out of the normal realm of, but, but your words have energy. Every word has energy, a vibration. Every thought has energy. Every, every um, feeling has energy. So to me, I teach how to steer that energy, how to guide that energy within the vocal format of, you know, how you're executing those words, even down to the vowel, even down to the phrase, even down to the feeling. And, you know, you can, say say a line that you know about butterflies and bees that might be in a in a temptation song and honey and all this in it and you could say it in a way that's not a good vibration like you could say it in a nice way or you could say it in a way that has like this weird horror movie kind of vibe to it so you know i think that is part of being an artist and how we you know uh, emote so right. I, I i just feel like you know the the capability of, or, or maybe that's not the right word, the potential of, of, of the union of Timo and myself. I think there's this opportunity to really produce something, create something that's really exciting. And, and I know, think so to go, to go where no man's gone before, you know, to do something new and exciting. I was, I was doing this master classes. I did one in Mexico city and I was like talking three hours and I didn't touch the guitar. Until I, I realized that these guys had no idea what I was talking about at all. And it was translated in Spanish. They had no idea. Absolutely nothing. So they're like, okay, why am I doing this? You know? I just wanted a selfie and, and get you to sign a poster. <laughs> exactly. So, something like that. I mean, they were guitar players with a guitar. So, Timo, do you got the other interview to do? No, I don't have. Okay, all right, all right. All right. Uh, we are live guys. So there are people watching this on, on YouTube right now. So if anybody has any questions uh, um, for Neil or uh, Timo, there, there has been questions, but I wanted more hopefully questions. They all have beer in their hand. Uh, I'm not sure. Hopefully, and hopefully, hopefully how do they write songs? Hopefully they're at an office party eating some donuts or something. <laughs> but uh, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback. Uh, Neil, people want you back on the show. Well, thank you. That's cool. I mean, uh, I might be a little busy because I'll be out there with Timo. You know, we got to go and rock and yeah. You know, uh, be hunting high and low, you know. <laughs> Maybe we go to New York. Can we play in New York, you think? I, I think I think we should. You, you know? told me you yeah. were going to New York. We just Yeah, have, of we, course. You know, it's just it's just a matter of the, the, the you know, the major markets and and who's uh, going to bring us to those cities. I mean, the promoters, so. And if right. everything's still open here. I think it's great that we're doing this podcast and that we're, you know, 
the more the more that we make people aware of uh, what's going on, I think the better because uh, you know it's, it, there's so much there's so much saturation out there in social media. You know, the flavor of the month, the flavor of the day, like whatever news they're pushing. I mean, unfortunately, there's some news lately that is is unfortunate. You know, some really great musicians have passed away and. You know, that's got a lot of the, the attention lately. And, uh, you know, it's really unfortunate. I think, you know, we've entered that age where our heroes, you know, and our, our colleagues are at that place where, you know, things, things happen. I mean, life happens, mm-hmm. but it's, it's sad when, you know, it's your heroes, you know, especially Robbie Steinart from Kansas and Jeff Labar from Cinderella and, right. uh, and, and Gary Corbett also from Cinderella and kiss. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's just really, it's, it's a, it's a reality that, um, you know, this, this happens in sports as well. It happens in, uh, you know, television and film as well, you know, but it's like, Hey, we got to carry on and keep on rocking. And that's what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, no reason to, to stop, no reason to, to hang it up or retire. I mean, this is what we love to do. And it's what's inside like BB King, you know, it's like, Hey, we mm-hmm. got we to gotta keep on keeping it on, keeping it going. Yeah. So what's some of the questions you got um, up there? Uh, I don't have nothing, anything really, for for you guys i mean people ask as usual people ask me stuff about timo timo uh are you still using laney amplifiers and esp guitars that's cool uh, how that? many times is this question going to be asked? i will i will answer this <laughs> question on, no 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 oh. see there got your answer for that and um uh, he also wants to know uh what do you guys think of modern new wave of traditional heavy metal bands like eternal champion enforcer riot city etc I have no idea what that is. I can I can uh, answer that question because I'm please familiar. I don't know what these are. I've played with Enforcer. They're great guys from Sweden and a uh, great band. They've been around for a while, so they're they're almost like not really a new wave of new. Like Riot City is much newer, mm. and there's also bands like Bewitcher and Haunt and you know uh, other you know band from LA called Fortress. There's Project there's a Resident. lot of these bands that are, you know. I'm always going to be partial to bands that have a, a, a solid singer. You know, mm-hmm. for me, I've always liked, uh, you know, you've had bands like white wizard and, and Holy grail and stuff. And, you know, when they have a good singer, it's easy to like them for me. Cause I like good singers, you know, and right. the singer sounds like Oscar, you know, or it sounds like uh, you know, guy from Sesame street, you know, <laughs> I feel like, you know, when's big, Bird, when's big bird going to come out, you know, <laughs> hey, it's big bird, everybody. You know, Ernie and Bert, I mean, Sesame Street, you know, to me. And it's like these guys, like if it was really Satan taking over, is it going to be some some alluring woman that looks sexy and beautiful and or the or or offering you something beautiful? Or is it going to be like some old dude with a big beard that looks like (laughs) a zombie saying, hey, I'm evil. (laughs) You know, so to me, I feel like it's always the devil in sheep's clothing. It's never going to be you know, the obvious, cause that would be too simple. It'd be too obvious. And right. I think the psychology behind that is, is just quite fascinating. It's like, people think, Oh, this is the toughest thing. We're tough. <laughs> we're so tough. We're on Sesame street, but they wouldn't hire us this week. So we're here playing death metal, or black metal. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there are some serious dark like bands, you know, like, like I played some gigs over in Europe with uh, Ensiferium Ensiferium, And, you know, I know those guys, guys those guys aren't messing around and they're finished, right? No, no. They're, yes, they're, they're messing here. around. I mean, they got their, their little kilts on, but Hey, I mean, they can, they can, they're, they're technical and they're growling and 
but you know, really good at what they do. And mm. there's other bands. There was this, fi- there was this Finnish band called Sentenced, and they were like one month on a tour with the German band. And after the tour, the guys of the German band said, these guys never said a word, you know, no, not even one. They got drunk, they played the show, got even more drunk, went to sleep, never talked, never talked to the guys in one month. <laughs> and I mean, I understand, you know, it's about the riffs and that's where I kind of meet the crossroads. It's like, they're about the riffs. They're about the, the some of them are symphonic. Some of them are very um, technical, progressive. So there is melody in there. Yeah. But what the hell the melody is? Like, how do you even remember a song? I mean, I see a lot, you know, a lot of death metal bands, a lot of black metal bands. And it's like, how do you even remember a melody? Like, at least with like the national anthem, you know, you can you could sing that without a music behind it. Like you can remember how the melody goes. But okay. when you got a good song and you can remember the, the melody, I mean, that's that's what I want to do when I write a song. Exactly. But, but when it's just a riff, it's like a bunch of riffs. I don't think it's so memorable. And I guess, you know, that is more so that style of music to write riffs. Like even yeah, rap so. has, has rhymes, right? right? But when you have, you know, just riffs, but there's a lot of fans of that style of music and, you know, people love it. And, you know, I mean, that's part of today's culture and that's what people like. I mean, but I just, ne- I never could understand like what this is. <laughs> Wow, you hear that? I always, I always say that you think they talk to their mothers like that. You, know? <laughs> you kiss your mother with yeah. that. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, what was that song again? Go home, <laughs> so, is that a word or is that what? What's the lyrics to that song? I'm trying to, I can't find them on the internet. It goes like this. <laughs> like, like I, I'm just trying to understand. Like, please help me. I'm, you know, I'm don't, don't, you don't even have to try. So that kind possible. of stuff won't be on your album. When you finally no. Get well, I'll do it. I, you know what? I'll sing death metal. I don't have a problem with that. You know, yeah. they want to they want to sign me up and pay me to sing death metal. I'll do it, but or black metal. But I don't really. I I, I don't know if I'd be good at it, but I, mm. I mean, I can go like, <laughs> you know, if I get some listerine, <laughs> I think it's kind of like having a fight with a, another animal. I, it's better not to do it. <laughs> In a closet. Under the bed or something. <laughs> oh, I got a question for you, Neil. Um, I just saw that you were on the new Thor album. How did that come about? Well, you know, Thor is, John Michael Thor is a great, great guy. And, um, you know, I, I had met Thor back in like 1982 before I was in Anthrax. Mm-hmm. Actually, it might have been 81, but I think it was 82. He was playing out in Long Island. Um, and I went to a, an Elmhurst at a club out there. And I guess that's Queens, right? It's kind of on the... Uh, yeah almost out in Long Island. So that's where it was Elmhurst. And I was in this band called um, Amra at the time. I had just left that mm. band. The drummer really wanted to be Neil Peart very badly. And that was the kind of drum kit he had. And he was like, you know, all these little octobons and toms. Like the roto toms and stuff. Yeah. And well, he had a good set, you know, it was a nice black set, but it's hard for me to forget things versus remember. But um, the idea is that, you know, I was seeing the band going more in a Def Leppard kind of direction. Like this was pre high and dry on through the night. Mm. And he was wanting to go in a rush direction. And they got the singer that was just weird. It was just a weird sounding dude that it, 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 it was, it was just all over the place, you know? So they did this show opening up for Thor. So that's why I was at the show to see this, the band that I left. 
And I was only in the band for three months, but I was friends with the guitar player. And, you know, this is just kind of how it went. You know, the guy who, who was the other guitar player, he, he owned the PA system at the time. So, you know, he was the decision maker. He had the PA system, right? <laughs> so, so he wanted to go with the drummer playing Rush and uh, this other singer. So that's fine. I went and joined Anthrax. So, oh, well, that's how the story went. But I went to uh, see Thor and I met Thor and his wife at the time. And, you know, they were at that time, Thor already had albums out. He was already a rock star. So it's like, okay, who's this kid? You know, Mm. (laughs) who's a snot nosed kid that came up to me. But (laughs) yeah, I I got to actually meet Thor at that time, you know, back in the eighties. And then, you know, I would work, I worked it when I was 15 years old in Max's Kansas city and the Ritz when I was 16. And, um, you know, when they first opened up at the Ritz. So I was there during those days and always in the village and always in, you know, St. Mark's and all the places in East New York and, um, you know, Chelsea and, and Tribeca and all these places. So, um, you know, I ran at the Thor and some other places, like he was at a venue or hanging out or I'd see him, like maybe it was Danceteria or maybe it was one of these places, you know, they had Studio 54 back then. I don't think they let me in back then because they were a little bit tough to get into, but other places. And, um, so I'm trying to think of the, there's some other cool places back then, uh, down in the, in the, in the East side, lower East side. So at that point I ran into Thor, um, he was touring and Jimmy, Jimmy K from the metal voice. He, uh, you know, put me in touch with Thor and said, Hey, you know, I want you to go interview Thor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know Thor. I met Thor a bunch of times. And so when I met Thor, he's like, Hey man, I need someone to help me do some merch. So I said, sure, Thor, I'll be happy to. So I helped him do his merch that time. And, um, you know, I also interviewed him. Mm. And then it turns out, you know, he came back through and he had me sing with him on stage. Because then he figured out, oh, well, now I know who you are. So it's like, oh, okay. Right. And I realized, like, I thought you were just interviewing me. Like, he, he knew I was in Anthrax, at, and, you know, when I first interviewed him. But it was like now it, like, all clicked and, like, okay, mm. I want this guy in my album with me. So he asked me to, to sing with him after I sang on stage with him at the whiskey. That was actually the last show I did uh, before pandemic. Um, it was like March 12th of, of 2020. Exactly. And, um, you know, that, that run that I had at the whiskey was really cool. Cause I actually was asked to sing on stage by, uh, you know, just some incredible people. Um, you know, I, I shared the stage and sang with these bands. So I'll just list them real quick. Um, some of them were at the whiskey. So I'm trying to think the first one. And last time I had an interview, I, I think I left it out. So I want to, I don't want to leave someone out. That, that hurts. <laughs> I hate, I hate when you remember afterwards, but um, yeah. So I was, um, I played with Dave, um, you know, Dave Evans from ACDC okay. original singer. So I did that show with him. I also did one with Steve Grimmett, mm-hmm. Grim Reaper. And Hammerfall asked me to sing on stage. And I was like, oh, wow. really? Yeah. And and what was really weird is, um, you know, I was I was asked, uh, you know, by Joachim. And he says, Neil, I want you to come sing a song with Hammerfall. Hmm. And I'm like, that's cool, Joachim. I'm going to sing a song with you. He says, no. I want you to sing the song and I'm going to watch. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I say, you guys don't need a singer. Why don't you sing the song and I'll just back you up. He's like, no, you're going to sing the song and I'm going to watch. I'm like, huh? And he, that's what happened. But it was like, wow, it was a lot of pressure, you know, trying to sing Hector's hymn. Yeah. 
I wish I had more time than a week to learn it, but like, wow, right. that was uh, like, holy smokes. And then also I sang with the band Whiplash. And here's the one that I left out last time that how could you forget? Because it's not every day that Blaze Bailey from Iron Maiden asked you to sing with him, but he was the first one. Oh. And I was like, wow, that was incredible. Earlier in um, 2019, I got to sing with Blaze. And, you know, this is like all dreams come true for me. I, I was fans of every one of these single bands and their work, you know, I'm familiar with all of them. I knew Dave Evans when I toured in Texas in 2008. I met him. He came to a, sh a show. Actually, 2008, we played in Texas. Mm. And then um, with my band Death Riders. And, um, you know, just, just having the opportunity. And, and back then, you know, like Timo was saying, 2006, you know, I saw him playing with Into Eternity. So I did shows with Into Eternity in 2005 in Mexico with, you know, Lemmy and Motorhead and, you know, Hammerfall. So it's like mm. interconnected with the bands that were cool people. And um, even all the way back to uh, Sweden Rock in 2006, when I played over there, you know, meeting some of the folks. So I thought maybe Timo was playing with uh, Stradivarius and maybe with Ed Guy, because I know, yeah, I know uh, yeah. Timo has a history also with, um, with uh, gosh, why can't I think of the Tobias. singer? Tobias. Tobias Summit. Tobias. 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, I was on a bus. We were on the bus coming from Sweden Rock to, to Denmark to go to the airport there in Copenhagen. And so we're on this bus and this, this lady bus driver and they have these like these kind of blinds on the windows, like, you know, like the kind you see in an office, like the weird <laughs> kinds that, that, you know, you pull the thing on there. Yeah, so yeah, anyway, yeah. there was this hornet that was like this big, like this thing was like a mammoth. <laughs> like this thing could like sting someone and their head would be missing. You know, that's how <laughs> the hornet was. So like I saw this thing and I'm like, that ain't no bumblebee. And I'm like, you know, I, I saw a fire extinguisher. I was going to, like, take the fire extinguisher and hit it like a baseball. But I didn't want to piss it off because it looked like it would be, you know, if that thing was round. And so so I had to take off my boot. And I was hoping I wouldn't break the window. But I slammed that motherfucker. I was, bam! And, and the guys in Ed Guy were all in the back row of the bus. They are like, what the heck? I said, don't worry. Now you won't get stung. It's like this fucking bee. Like, we, the thing was, like, the size of a tennis ball. This, this hornet. And it's like, man, it was a nice bee. It was a really beautiful, perfect uh, hornet. But I don't want to kill him. But, you know, the other the other side of it was like, hey, I wasn't I was never stung by a I've been stung by bees, but I never got stung by a hornet. And I didn't want to find out. And that thing was like hanging around near me. It's and I get I guess in, in, in European festivals, you know, they're used to seeing hornets the size of motorcycles <laughs> or something. But I, I'm just not used to that. You know, I. I I'm not from Texas, and you know I don't want to see no bee that's like this big because that, that's frightening. <laughs> was he wearing a cowboy hat? Not well. It, I think it was driving a Harley or something. It was big. <laughs> it was a big boy. The last one is in. All right. So what? Uh, that had nothing. You didn't even answer my question. I know. Isn't that great? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. What was the question? I don't even remember. No, the the new Thor. How did okay, you get? No, well, I, I, I didn't know. Obviously. I did tell you about it. So Thor sent me over, um, you know, a track and he wanted me to The sing. recent story. The recent story. Yeah, well, you know, we went a little <laughs> tangent, sidetracked on you. Sidewinder. That's right. You didn't stop when you were born. I was born in 1962. Yeah, I was 63. <laughs> but, so, yeah, Thor oh, Thor hit me up and he just said, hey, you know, I'd love for you to sing on the album. And I'm like, of course, Thor, I'd love to do it. And, you know, it was an honor for me. He sent me a, a song with a really cool melody. Hmm. And the way the song sounded like, it's like it really needed, you know, this melodic um, 
you know, he sings great and he does, mm-hmm. you know, like the new video they just came out with sounds really good. Yeah. You know, because we are strong. They did this uh, video and it's it's just him singing on it. Mm. I mean, it's lead vocal. But on this one that I sang, We Will Fight Forever, I found out from from Kevin Swain, um, Kevin Stewart Swain and from from John Michael Thor that that's going to be probably the next single that uh, Cleopatra is going to release, um, possibly. Mm-hmm. So they want me to do uh, some video for it. So that's my next project. So I was talking with uh, Timo about a green screen. And that's um, probably what I'm going to be using it for. But, um, you know, because they're going to do their own setting and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I could do it in my studio, no problem. But they want it. I don't know where I'll be in a Star Wars movie or something. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Have you you seen some of the Thor videos? Yeah, it's cool. I love his stuff. He had Lou Ferrigno in the last one. So, you know, who knows he'll be in the next one, right? (laughs) Never know. But, but, um, you know, I just, I brought some melody into it. And then I, I kind of came up with this part that was in the middle. Like it had, like, I figured it's a Thor album, you know, and he is, he is Nordic. That is Mm. his roots. And, and, there was this part that just it beckoned this this uh you know this this viking chant type thing hmm. you know whoa, 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 whoa you know that kind of thing so yeah. i came up with a part and he used it hmm. and it's actually in the reprise like the song shows up twice on the album and it's also from what i understand in that other part too where that's being used so it's not actually the vocals but just that that melodic uh, chant and oh, wow. I just thought, you know, you're, you're Thor, man. You got to have like a, you go play, you go play muscle rock. You got to have a chant when you're going over there, right? You got to, <laughs> exactly. you got to get all the, the Vikings, <laughs> the Vikings going, whoa, you know, like it's got to happen. That's it. Yeah. So, so it was cool. I got to, to bring that to the table and, uh, you know, they loved it. And I thought the chorus was really melodic, what I did with it and, um, you know, adding to, to Thor and, Ironically, I had some, some, some issues with my, um, you know, one of my computers running um, my my uh, digital audio workstation. Um, so it was like the last thing I recorded for a while was that Thor uh, vocal track that I sent over, mm-hmm. and at that time they were asking me, oh, you know, well maybe you should also do uh, some lyrics on the, you know, some vocals on the uh, the verses. So I actually wrote lyrics to the verses that didn't end up on the album, but I thought they were pretty cool. And I was hoping that, that John uh, Michael Thor was going to be able to maybe record some of them. But unfortunately, you know, it was during the most extreme times of lockdown and all that. So it didn't, especially in Canada where he is, it didn't really have, you know, the opportunity didn't present itself. And of course, you know, all the fear of, you know, trepidation and uncertainty and doubt of going somewhere or being somewhere and, you know, they're telling everyone you're going to die. You know, you breathe air. You don't (laughs) go near another person. Oh my God. You know, you'll catch it from a, you know, you'll catch it from a Dixie cup. That's not been on. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful of the sun. It might bite you. (laughs) Shiny. And it's sharp. And bright. Could have been been in that wasp that he killed or that hornet. Yeah. So, you know, it it was, um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, he's, he's a great guy and, we had a lot of fun. I, I got to interview him actually. So, oh, cool. so when I he interviewed cool him uh, originally, you know, it was a really fun when we were playing the show. So he, he, he had me sing with him and then I interviewed him and that was, that was, that was later, but it was just really cool. I mean, he's just a stand up guy and, you know, I love people in the industry that are 
are good people that, that, you know, embrace you and they, they try to, you know, help you up. And mm. that's to me what it's all about. It's like helping other people up. It's like, mm. you know, we're, we're the, the, the elder statesman of the industry, I guess, to some extent, unless you want to consider the Rolling Stones, which, you know, I, I don't know how anyone can compare to that. Cause you know, these guys are worth, you know, a billion dollars each at least. Yeah. So that's not really, you know, like that's, a different level, but you know, the people that have been doing it and do this for a living and they go out on the road and they go tour and stuff. And, and it's, it's not, you know, it's like living in a, it's like being a circus performer, you know, because <laughs> living on a, in a circus tent and, you know, living on the road, it's not a, a simple, you know, and then they take away your, your livelihood when they lock everything down. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. and that's not just for, for artists, but it's for any kind of industry that, you know, thrives mm-hmm. by having interactions and being in person. I mean, Imagine doctor's offices. How could they even work? You know, you can't go to the doctor's office. Nobody, nobody wants to go to the dentist. No one wants to go anywhere. You know, the fear has been so impermeate, permeating everything. And to me, I just don't live, like I said, with fear energy. I live with love energy. And, you know, I'm not afraid of fear. I think love is what overcomes fear. It's the opposite of love, actually. Not yeah. hate. Okay. I just heard it was messed up. I know some um, some guy from uh, I don't know if you guys know the band Indestructible Noise Command. Cool name, but I haven't heard him. A very old band, old band. Uh, the guitarist actually lives in Cyprus, right? Oh. And in, Cy- in Cyprus, they have made it now. You can't go anywhere unless you call like some government number. And if you don't have the vaccine, they won't let you leave your house. Unless you yeah, can- that's co- that's coming to that next. It's in France. It's like that. You're gonna you're gonna have to have the passport. Yes. That's insane. I, but I knew this somehow. I, I, I could sort of tell it two years ago already. So yeah. Yeah, he, he ended up going to a protest and the protest broke out into like a big, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Big in Greece, like in Greece yeah. they're on, on the streets now. They protest these yeah. laws because they are like horrible, you know, mm. really. I mean, fuck. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fucked up. It's, it's yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know what's going on right now. Um, oh. I got to move to the mountains. Yeah, right. Yeah. They'll still find you. Um, getting back to the no. album, you, you guys are going to, you don't think they'll find you in the mountains? No, because I, 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 will, I will disappear in Mexico. <laughs> Nobody will ever find this fucking big country. That is true. Uh, going back to the album that you guys are going to work on, uh, do you guys have like uh, drummers and, and other musicians that you know you can work with yet? Or? We, thought, we I, thought you were going to do it, Wayne. We thought you were going to help us. Uh, I can. I'm ready to go. I got my right. drums right here. Actually, we talked about only one song so far, but of course, I mean, we're going to write more stuff together because that's what I mean. I, I like to write songs with this guy, especially mm-hmm. now that I see him and I get this energy. It's you still, a lot you still want to work with it's him a, even though you just saw him? Especially now. I mean, I, 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 wanted, <laughs> before, I wanted before, but I, I, like, I love his fire. There's yeah. a lot of fire in that guy, you know? So that's going to be always... I always try to get it out from a singer, especially when I produce them, because I produce vocals in a very different way. Mm. I've seen anybody do that. But yeah. that would be interesting to produce Neil, Neil's vocals. Well, that sounds maybe great. It would be like, maybe it would be like a, some kind of a cataclysmic event. <laughs> like an explosion <laughs> in the universe. Black hole explodes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like this, Timo and, and, and Wayne. Like for me, you know how you have like a sax player and you have reeds on a sax and you're, you know, if you're playing like a Rolling Stone song, like, can you hear me knocking? Mm. And Bobby Keys playing the sax and, 
you know, he, he bends those notes outside of like what should even be a note. Like in other words, when they're bending these notes that are outside of the range and outside of the, the box. Yeah. So to me as a vocalist, and I love the way that that sounds, you know, if it's done properly and, and you know, we're, we're in the right context, of course it could be really a train wreck in the wrong context. And, you know, people singing out of their range, you know, that's, that's something you don't want to necessarily hear. But I guess it won't matter. It won't matter if it's black metal or death metal because it's like. You really love this stuff. I can see that. Yeah, you don't know what's going on. Though. Well, I'm from this area. You know, they have this black metal guys like Mayhem and Burzum and all these guys in Norway. You know, but you know those. What is happening? I have black screen. I don't know Do you see doing. me? Those guys go home and listen to Rainbow. You know, they are that kind of guys. They drink tea and, you know, that's what they really do. They are not that black at all. I can tell you that because we've met many of those guys. Of course. So, so to me, I like pushing boundaries. I, you know, as a vocalist, to me, it's like, you know, first of all, it's like a baseball pitcher. And I don't know mm -hmm. if that's even a sport that's um, something that, that people in, in Europe uh, relate to as much because baseball's you know, very American, right? Like apple pie, yeah. Chevrolet and all that kind of stuff. Hot dog, all that crap. So, the thing about baseball pitchers is they're throwing these these pitches that are 100 mile an hour fastballs. They're throwing, you know, very accurate in a very tight space, and they have to be on point. And they might be spending their whole game waiting till the ninth inning, and then they come in like emergency surgery at the very end, and they'll throw these strikes. So that's what their job is to be a relief pitcher. They come in because the other guys have been, they've been through all these other guys. It's the playoffs. And, you know, they got this one guy who's like, you know, this, the specialist and he throws these pitches that are so fast and there's a little spin on them. They curve balls or sliders or all these weird knuckle balls, all these weird pitches. And it's just one of these quirky kind of dudes that comes in and it's got a, maybe has a funny mustache or something. And he, and he comes in and he throws these, these wicked pitches and nobody can hit them. And when the guy's on, on point, he's on point. And sometimes people hit him and he's not on point. But when he's on point, he's pretty unstoppable. And that's the guy you want coming in for those times. So I try to put myself in that mindset of I'm not trying to compare myself, so I'm not thinking that I'm some baseball pitcher in, in the World Series. But I, but I think of those people and I think of, you know, how do I put myself in that mindset and try to push myself beyond the limits? Because Bruce Lee is the one who said, use no limit. No, use no limitation as limitation. Sounds like that. And that's really where, you know, I try to put myself through that, that cinder block and five other ones. You know, like you can't just go through one wall. You got to go through 10 walls. And in other words, taking the note and pushing it. So I know in my range, you know, where my ceiling is and where my floor is. But sometimes, you know, I want to bend a note like on a guitar. Car, you know you <laughs> you bend it off the off the fretboard practically you know that's like you don't want to cut your fingers off but fingertips but it's like wow you know that's like taking it to another place and you know where it's called for but but to me that's really my my viewpoint it's like to use no limit use no limitation as limitation and and to be able to you know emote something that like live where you know the note is off the chart and I know I could get up there, but it's like sometimes that's where I want to do that. And that's a little bit different than just hitting a high note. It's not just like you're going for this high note where you're, you're building up to that note in the scale. 
you're kind of you're bending the note and you're just and I did that kind of thing in Anthrax. So that was on Fistful of Metal and probably Death from Above and a few others, maybe Metal Thrashing Mad. But the idea is that um, just it's a fierce energy. It's just like a pure energy. And and I feel like that's something that's different. You know, so when you say, yeah, I got some fire. Well, yeah, that's because I guess I have I've always had that that element. And I, and I always want to bring that out and, and use it where, where it fits. But, you know, you just can't plug that in everywhere. It just doesn't go everywhere. And it doesn't go in every song. Some songs don't even have super high notes. You know, right. some songs are like mm-hmm. never surrender yeah, or just more melodic. Yeah. Is there a certain songs that you guys know that you want to do already on this tour? I, I sent him a set list oh, of yeah. the songs I would like to play. And, and I've been, I, I'm going to play this in Finland. I have a gig here on Saturday. So wow. it's going to be those same. Same, uh, same songs. What do you think of the set list that he sent you? He just gave you blue. Yeah, yeah, I give it. I, I, I I don't know what. It's gonna be. I think there are some of because in Mexico when where I play, I don't I don't ever rehearse those songs with anybody. I just go and play, and I I don't even know what's the set list because I want to have the surprise element. So I go. Like 30 minutes before the show, I show up and I go on stage and I, oh, that's a set list. And a couple of times happened that they put on the song, which I played only in the studio once, like 25 years ago. Mm. Uh, oh, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I remember the changes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, Neil, what do you think of this, the, uh, the list that he gave you? I love it. I love the songs. And I think, you know, Timo and, and, you know, his career, I mean, a legacy artist, someone who's, you know, master, masterful writer, masterful composer, masterful player. I mean, performer, just everything. I mean, someone that composes rock operas, you know, someone that composes, mm. you know, great songs, great melodic songs, great symphonic songs. I mean, just epic. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got my work cut out for me. But I like the fact that, you know, these songs are memorable. There's melodies that are memorable and that makes it a lot different for me because, you know, I've had to learn songs with bands where they were very technical and the songs were not repetitive in the melodies. So it was like a, a map that started at point A and it ended up at point Z and but there was no repeating anything. So it's much more difficult unless you're living with that for a much longer time. But these songs, you know, have that technical depth and they have, you know, the, the, progressive and even neoclassical in points uh, depth, but, but there's still mel- melody, great melodies and memorable uh, things about the song. So I think to me, that's really the difference of singing songs and playing, performing songs that people know or like versus like who even remembers this melody of these 10 different riffs. You know what I mean? Like it's it's riffs. It, it just makes it easier or more methodical to try to listen to songs that you can you know, your memory will retain them better when you got stuff that's like, you know, like, like I'm sure we've all been somewhere like, how did I get there? And what road do I take? Like, it was so confusing. And then there's places like, Hey, I, I, I've been here once and I remember how to get here, you know? So it's kind of like that. Your brain works like that. So that's what I'm thinking of. Is there one song that you really want to do? Me? Yeah. Well, some of the songs that I really like, um, I like the song, the, one of the songs that Timo had sent to me, I, I think, believe it was called Eternity. 
Yeah. And that was a really epic song. And I thought that was very uh, majestic and, and very, you know, amazing. So I really liked that song. And then, of course, I'm listening on my own to, you know, the different material. And, you know, ones that uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Eagle Heart and, and Hunting High and Low. And, you know, mm. these are ones that I think fans love, you know. So that's, yeah, they love those. that's kind of, you know, stuff that fans are going to sing and stuff that fans want to hear. So, I, I mean, I was kind of hoping that maybe some of the fans would say, hey, we want to hear this song or that song. Are you guys going to play this or that? And maybe that would be one of the questions they ask. Because to me, I think that's really the key is what do the fans want to hear? You know, what? Yeah, that's exactly how I think. Kind of exactly a cool how I think. poll you can probably do on uh, Facebook or something. Yes, we can do that. Sure. I mean, I think that people are going to want to hear, you know, if there's a, a Bleed the Hunger song or a Death Rider song that's in there, great, you know. Yeah. You know, it makes sense to play something like Never Surrender because that's a single that just came out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, playing something obscure doesn't really make sense that people have, aren't familiar with. And also from Anthrax, you know, like there's, you know, I think the majority of songs we're playing are more melodic, but I think, yeah, you know, if there's um, metal thrashing mad or something like that, that people uh, would want to hear that we, we put it in there or, or two songs or whatever there's room for. Also, we got to think about how long our set is, you know, if we're, if we're playing we in always... a environment where it's an hour long <laughs> set or we're playing for two hours or an hour and a half, you know, what do we, what do we got mm. in front of us? Right. I always think that I want to play what the, what the fans want to hear. That's what I'm, you know, I read every time to say. Someone just mentioned uh, find your own voice. Yeah. Well, that's fucking high. <laughs> that, that's, 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 I don't want to play that anyway. It's, I don't like the song. I'll do whatever Timo wants to do and whatever the fans want. I mean, whatever, whatever makes sense, you know, but, yeah. but that's great. You know, we get input like that. That's, that's what we want to hear. We want to hear people that uh, have that song you don't want to sing. <laughs> yeah. He'll be the judge. Way. Maybe he does. Um, no man, it's, Timo, I don't you, think it's a good idea. <laughs> how are you going to feel playing Anthrax songs, Timo? I I love to play different kind of music. I don't really care what it is, you know. If I like the vibe, I mean, he's been in that, so of course it's yeah. part of the tour. But now you I, finally with, listen to that album. I mean, are you going to be able to do? I it? mean, I played with Anthrax, but that was with this Belladonna guy. Right, right. I mean, he was a singer and. I mean, I don't like trash music because it's it's not melodic. Right. You know, for me, it's not melodic stuff. It's too aggressive because I'm I'm not an aggressive guy at all. Hmm. Not even when I'm drunk. So it's it. I don't have that. I'm kind of soft guy who writes these beautiful melodies. And what how I think of my music is really simple, actually. You know, I have this theory that you have to be able to play the melody of the chorus on a piano with one finger, and then it's a good one. Right. Well, there's the, the magic in the whole interview right there. That's that's beautiful. That's what I that's what I really feel. Like. You know, it's just five, six notes. That's it. I think that's a yeah. really well stated uh, point and 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 truth. And and to me, I feel the same way about any song being able to play it acoustically. Like if you can't play a song acoustically, then yeah, you're yeah. out on an opportunity where you know maybe you're electric maybe everything electrical doesn't work and, you know, you're there at your audience, even in a, an arena or an amphitheater or whatever it might be. And, you know, I've seen it happen with rat and Bon Jovi, you know, rat played. And the only thing that people could hear was a drummer, Bobby block playing, playing a long drum solo, but I mean, at least it was entertaining and he did it, you know, he, it happened and, and he started doing that and people dug it. And it was like, the power was done. It was the end of the show. Mm. That was it. And rat was the headliner that, for that tour. Right. And, um, 
you know, but he was playing the drums. And, and to me, it's like, well, if you got an acoustic guitar and you can play some of the songs and pull it off, no matter what kind of music it is, yeah. you know, there should be that aspect. And, and the only way you're going to do that is, is if there's melody. If, it's exactly. black, if there's black metal, I guess you can do it if you got i guess there's a way to do that i'm sure that you know like black metal unplugged you know death metal unplugged i mean how do you do that like i never forget this because i, I had a demo studio here in helsinki i, I record like 400 demos with local bands and there was this band called amorphous it's kind of big right. now and at that time there was one song they had no lyrics it's exactly like this. so i said I, I i gave him a newspaper in Finnish, and I said, just fucking do growl from that. So he's growling from the newspaper, and nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's Finnish. It's Finnish language with growl, growling. So they're reading the newspaper. They're reading the newspaper. Exactly. He read the newspaper. So it's like this. The weather is <laughs> Fahrenheit, Celsius, and still clear, man. I think it's still clear. <laughs> die! Okay. They die. They have a lot of die. The chorus is die, 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 die. <laughs> Charlie Brown, die, die, die. Okay. But I was, I think, I thought it was funny because nobody knew. It's, it's on a record actually. It was a record. Yeah. So one of the songs have Finnish lyrics from newspaper, local newspaper. Well, you know, the good news is that if at least if we get stuck, you know, I can. Ask Timo for a finished newspaper, and we can always come up with some. Yeah. <laughs> Not with my music, man. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, Timo. We can get like our nerd. We can get like the, the vocals from Sesame Street, and we can get like um some some you know those little kids' toys that you wind up, but a little jack in a box comes out and it makes like noise. You know, we can get our melodies from there too. It'd be a new way of writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you, you can play every song. song. I think you can play every song I ever wrote with acoustic guitar and, and sing it. I think so. We, because we the melody like, there. We could do like death metal, black metal version of Madonna covers. <laughs> and we're black Strat- dresses Strat- on Stratovars songs. That's the death metal versions. But smoke might, bombs and might have some fire pots on our heads. <laughs> yeah, we might have something. Uh, some kids. people are, are actually uh, saying some songs. SOS, uh, Eagle Heart, Paradise, uh, Father Time, uh, Wings of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, there we go. Father Time, another brilliant one. And yeah. SOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff, but yeah. So I, I can't wait for the for this this tour to start, and uh, hopefully you do get to New York. That'll be really cool. And uh, mm-hmm. if you do come to New York, this will be the first time me and Timo we will meet because I will definitely go. Exactly. We got to come to New York because uh, yeah. you know you got good places there, and uh, you know the food's better, and the people are cool, and that's where I'm from. Yeah. When's the last time you act? You, you were here, Neil. I think you said it before. Was it? Yeah, I was there in. Uh, Actually, uh, I was on a tour with the band Onslaught from UK, and I was there in 2014. Oh, okay. And uh, that's actually the last time I came through because um, that was a tour that I did, you know, internationally in the US and Canada. Mm. And then I did other tours, you know, other places, in the, you know, different festivals and different places, a lot of Latin America touring. Um, you know, I've been to Poland and Czech Republic and Denmark and, you know, Germany a bunch and Netherlands. And, um, of course, Death Riders is over, and, and most of the guys are in Sweden. Right. And then my band, Neil Turbin Eastlos, is here in L.A., so we rehearse often over here. Yeah. 
how'd you get hooked up with uh, Matt Thompson? Because uh, I know you actually you've been working with um, Andy LaRock too, which is Death Riders thing. And um, yeah, well, well, both really fantastic people, and also yeah. Andy's wife Pernilla, really fantastic. Um, and, and the guys in King Diamond are just great. King himself, you know, just a, a great guy, and you know, very professional, very amazing, an amazing mm-hmm. performer, just yeah. incredible. And I met King back in New York, you know, back in the '80s, and. He was really cool back then. You know, he let me check out his uh, leg bone that he was holding from a human right. femur. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, man, you're giving me your bone to hold? Like, that's really cool, man. <laughs> Too bad there's not any meat on it. We can chew on it, you know. But um, maybe not. But King was really a humble, you know, friendly guy. And and then, you know, meeting the band later on, you know, I knew Mickey D mm. uh, for quite some time. And then that, even back in those days. But, but then... Um, you know, meeting Matt Thompson, you know, actually, I'm trying to think how I was introduced to Matt. I, I was introduced to Matt. We were doing a, I was organizing a show called Nam Metal Jam, Neil and Michael's Metal Jam, Michelangelo Badio. So we were doing this at the Whiskey, and I had Matt Is Thompson. Is that the guy who has two guitars at the same time? Yeah, he's got two or four of them. Yeah, he's <laughs> ambidextrous. <laughs> yeah, he's an amazing guy, amazing person, and a, and a phenomenal player. And, you know, it was fun to, to play with Michael. But so we would do these jams and we'd have, you know, cover songs and have these different artists. And we had, you know, one time we had like 60 or more artists playing these things. I mean, Per Nelson came out, you know, from Sugar, from Nocturnal Rights. I mean, he, he played it. Uh, we had all kinds of people. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of, um, of uh, uh, Derek St. Holmes okay. from Ted Nugent's band played it. Um, you know, also... Uh, Glenn Sobel from Alice Cooper. I mean, we've had some names, you know, um, I'm trying to think of Michael, the bass player from, from White Snake. I mean, we've had quite a number of people play the show. So yeah, Matt Thompson, uh, you know, I was uh, working with Matt on, on a song. I, I think we were playing a Dio song or something like that. And we had, you know, Rowan Robertson from Dio playing mm-hmm. on the song and, and, and I thought, Hey, you know, Matt, you know, I love your drumming. Would, it would be really cool to have, you know, record something with you. Cause he was, he was saying, Hey, you know, if you ever need drums on something, so I'm like, okay, that might just happen. So, you know, I had my band, um, death riders and I had, you know, the drummer who actually played on, the on KK, KK's priests, um, album okay. at the time. And, you know, he was like in five bands. So I, it was like, you're in five different bands and, you know, I don't know if he knew the songs to any of the five bands because, like, he's in five different bands. It's like having right. five different jobs. You know, it's hard to to really drill down and really spend a lot of time with that. So, you know, we had the drum tracks from um, the studio, and and it was like, you know, I spent a bunch of money on it, and I paid for it, and you know, it was going to be a lot of work to move things around to to line them up, to quantize them, to make them nice, and you know. I really wasn't looking to do that with the drum with the drum track. I really didn't want to have, you know, like drums by numbers, you know, and try to move them mm-hmm. into uh quantize, you know, grid. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, then it mm-hmm. becomes like, you know, these bands that you hear where everything is perfect and there's no human factor right. to me. And Matt is like a machine. I mean, he, he plays it accurately. He does. He's not quantizing it. You know, you don't need to quantize it. He's that good. And obviously King diamond thinks so. And, so all King Diamond's fans, because it's great. Mm. And he sounded great, and he and he took it to another level playing Never Surrender and the other songs that he's done. But um, 
I don't know. It's just the, the difference of working with someone like a Matt Thompson. What would you like me to change? Right. Like he offers that. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm Matt Thompson and, you know, I'm from King Diamond and this is the way it is. No. He's like, well, you know, here's what I played. I hope you like it. And if there's anything you want me to change, just let me know. I'll mm -hmm. do it. Like how, e how easy is that and how professional is that to work with someone who gets gets it handled, you know, gets the job done and is flexible, is uh, professional, you know, no one more professional than that, in my opinion. I mean, that's just the top level of professionalism. It's, you know, you shouldn't have to tell anyone what you want them to do differently. But, you know, there's a there's a difference of interpretation. We all interpret things the way that we interpret them. I mean, if you interpret the Spanish language, you know, you might interpret a word differently. You know, cabron. Mm -hmm. Cabron. King the funny thing, King, King Diamond is because we played the first Sweden rock, I guess it was. And we, went, we were in this hotel in the lobby, and he comes with a full makeup and a bone. And right. that is like grandfathers, old old people. And they're looking, what the, what is that? He walks through the lobby with full makeup and, you know, whole, the stage outfit. Goes to a van, and everybody was like, what is that? You know, and we were laughing. Because <laughs> we knew him. And the next day, because... Nobody really knows how he looks like, you know, basically. And he's there with the sunglasses and like a normal guy with mustache and stuff. You don't really know him. Right. But with that fucking thing, you know, he comes through the lobby and everybody's looking at him. Everybody. And he yeah. knows the truth. So. <laughs> yeah, I love you King know. Diamond. He's, he's, he's amazing. And, um, you know, Andy LaRocque, I mean, what a phenomenal guitarist, person, uh, phenomenal on every level. I mean, he's obviously you know, been in King Diamond with King Diamond the longest, but also, you know, playing with death. And, you know, I think Andy really understood how to separate the frequencies, much like, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, some of the, the frequencies that would be in a Stradivarius song. You know, you have yeah, yeah. a lot yeah. of things up the middle, right in that mid-range section of, of vocals and guitar tones and cymbals. Yeah. And, and the guitars, we always carved away to the vocals, out from the mid-range, actually. The vocals are mid-range, of course. The tap, we, tap. We, yeah, we, we, we even emphasize mid-frequency sometimes with vocals. Now this is taking a technical win, but, you know. Yeah, you're getting beyond me now. Yeah, so, so the <laughs> understanding of how to manage those frequencies, and we've had yes. other engineers work with the frequencies, and they kind of, you know, AM radioed the whole thing into a big, uh, you know, silly putty of of it was just kind of glued together and I, I need to hear them so you you can separate you could listen and say oh i could hear the keyboard or i could hear the guitar yeah, if, it, if, if it's a song that had a keyboard or i could hear the vocal mm. i could hear the harmonies and they and they're yes. up, you know the level to the right they're, they're put into the right amount because sometimes you might have back backing vocals or middle the middle part of the backgrounds that are overpowering like Dan Leppard, you know, you listen to Hysteria. Everything is sonically perfect. Mm -hmm. Everything you can hear everything. You know? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it, what it, what it we did, like, what I what I do is like I equalize a word. Sometimes every word in the vocals, different way. Auto, I automate. Yeah, I automate. I have to automate. So, exactly. so Timo has that expertise, you know. So that's that's yeah, that's a to. beautiful. So he so not only is it's a matter of composition and writing and also you know, playing through the stuff and getting all the kinks worked out live, you know, so you rehearse it and figure out, oh, well, this works in the studio, but this is way too busy and live. We got to do it differently. But he also has the know-how on how to manage those frequencies. So when you have the digga, 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 digga part and the drums are going digga, 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 and the vocals are screaming over it or whatever they're doing. And yeah. there's maybe even keyboards. It's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we 
how do we position each one of those frequencies exactly. so they're all you know stacked in a way that they're not they're not colliding sonically exactly how do you build it sounds, sonically that's a, yeah it's exactly what i do i mean i know it sounds you know. technical but the reality to me is that yes it's technical but it, it, it sounds so much better when you have someone who understands how to work with this and manage it. And that's who Andy yes. LaRock is. Andy LaRock knows how to manage those frequencies, you know, and, and get them so they are separated. As the song goes, keep them separated, right? You want to keep those, those sonic frequencies separated so they're not bleeding mm. uh, sonically into each other. And, you know, who even teaches this stuff? Like, how would you even know that? No, My ears tell me that. Can't. No, no, you have to, you have, you have to find out yourself. You have to, you have to try it. You know, there's a lot of knowledge there, but and it's not even a secret. But you have to apply it into your own thing, how you, you want to work with things, and especially vocal stuff will be the really the most important thing of a song every time. So many times I I start mixing from the vocals only. I put only the vocals up and I listen to it. If there's conflicting frequencies, whatever has to be worked on, you know. That's too That's funny that you say that because I do the same thing because I'm recording vocals and I'm recording, you know, sometimes 40 tracks of vocals only. Yeah. And yeah. then, then it's like, okay, why would I do that? Well, here's how that happens. So, you know, first of all, if I'm singing, um, let's say a chorus and there's three part harmony or a lead vocal and I'm, I'm doubling it. Well, I'll do it four times sometimes. And then I'll have, you know, that's 12 vocals of backups plus the lead vocal. That's another four. So that you're, you're dealing with uh, 16 and then, okay. So you got 16, Here's how I get to my 40. Then I'm doing another part, which is the verse. And that's another four tracks of vocals. So I got, you know, 20, 20 tracks. Then I'm doing another middle eight section. That's another four tracks. And then a bridge. And then they'll say there's a scream somewhere. And I do two tracks of the scream. So it's in stereo. Try to double that thing. Make it so it's left and right. And then and maybe one up the middle. That might be three tracks. In other words, it gets it gets there very quickly. And it's not like trying to be like Def Leppard. It's just, you know four of me and of course some of those tracks might be pulled back in the mix you might have you know certain dominant tracks and but that's what i work with and that that way you know if i sing it that many times i know i've got good enough tracks that we can run with you know oh that's why okay i understand and that's all I had, I had a fight with john london about this because he sent me like maybe 12 tracks it's a lot of, of work vocals. yeah so, no it's not the work i'm not scared of that i, I like that but you know then i'm like I have this powerful song. I need a powerful vocal. I need one powerful vocal. I'm not 12. Right. You know, I, don't, right. I don't hear Ronnie Deal multi-tracking voice. You know, it's just one fucking right. thing right there. You know? Well, you know, that comes down to comping the track. So what I'll do is I'll comp the track, but I have these yeah. other support tracks just to kind of fill out the, uh, you know, not in other words, in a lower volume, they fill out right. certain parts where, where it gives you a different sound. And I always look at Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes that, you know, like Randy yeah. triple tracking his solos and Ozzy. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's because amazing. he's got Ozzy is as as great as a singer as he is at times, and as bad of a singer as he is at times. Ozzy is also, you know, he's had prolific songwriting, and you know, some of his melodies are fantastic even to the current day. And you know, his technique in the studio or, or how he tracks his vocals and how it works. I mean, you know, he actually sounds good doing multi-track vocals so it does work in certain parts but you certainly don't want it to sound like a cyborg you don't want it to sound no, but like i mean it, it it really comes down to what kind of voice you have in a track i mean a song in a band I, I, you have a very strong voice i don't really think you need many tracks like one 
one like main vocal track is yeah, it's a really good thing for a guy like does, you that does work you know? for me you know i just i just did this thing the song with a, a friend of mine john Ingracia, who has a um, he does this um this mentoring program for kids called music matters okay Connecticut. Cool. and he, he he's been working with you know jamo from the allman brothers and um right you know some of the guys from tom petty's band beaumont tench and steve ferrone and he sent me a track and i'm like yeah, man, I really like these tracks he sent me. He sent me one with Gilby Clark and Matt Sorum on it. I'm like, yeah, it's great. It has a vocalist on it already. So he wasn't asking me to sing on it. But then he sends me this track. He says, hey, Neil, I got this track without any vocals on it. It's like, yeah, it sounds great, uh, John. Who's on the track? Oh, uh, it's just uh, the guys from Tom Petty's band. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> so yeah. And, and so anyway, I wrote to it and I came up with it with the vocals and the, and the lyrics and all. And I recorded it. Um, and, and actually that one is a single vocal and I, and I just, you yes. know, I, I took Prompted. that single, I took the single vocal. I, I made a copy of it cause I just didn't have time. I was just, this is a rough, this is just right. a rough side track, but I sent it and it's a left and a right and one straight up the middle, but those other okay. the right are really low. But right. the middle is the prompt dominant track, but it's right. just, so it has that stereo yeah. you know, um, field when you play it back. So at least it sounds like, okay, it's not. But I had my plugins weren't jiving, so I didn't have like hardly any any kind of effects on it. It was just like raw, okay, pretty much. So that's why it was a, a guide track. But just to give, I like that when I when I when I record vocals, I like to have complete takes, you know, because you never know when the magic happens. You gotta have it. You gotta record all the time, basically. And then I might have twenty tracks of vocals. I love that stuff when I mix. I I want to have those options in the right. mix from everybody exactly actually. That's what I like to provide, but I don't. I don't try to, I don't stray so much from what the take is. You know, it's just maybe yeah, yeah. Some, of them, some of them were, you know, some of the, the, the reason I might have some of those, some of the notes might be hard to hit or certain parts, very difficult. So mm -hmm. that's why I might have a few options of that to, to get, you know, mm -hmm. one really yeah, solid like one. But, but, you know, usually for high notes, that's where I would do that kind of thing. Like if it's really hard or like some yeah. kind of, you know, some kind of thing where it's long and it's a very long, elongated part where it has like five vibratos it goes into something and then it holds a note and then it gets even higher and then it you know tails out of it and you know different timings like some of these things exactly. are so, so difficult to try to mirror that to try to like uh, yeah, yeah. do a, a Dupl duplicate do a double of it is exactly. some of these things are just so, so like to try to match it at the end like you know you're just kind of going from memory and trying to hit it hit the marks and all that but I yeah. think there's a whole science and a whole magic to just managing the vocals in a uh, recording process like that. When you have a singer that can sing exactly at, at, at that level, but you know, if they're just singing for the hell of it and it's just a basic song, well, you shouldn't exactly. it to be one track or two tracks. No big deal. Exactly. I, can, I consider myself pretty good at making, you know, doubling precisely the, the parts. So that's, I like to do that. And I like to have it so it sounds stereo. So you're really <laughs> getting a, a great quality. I use a lot of even that harmonizer for in the mix for that kind of thing. You know, I have one track, but it sounds like three. It's really wide. You know, it's a queen strike. Queen strike using a lot of stuff. I wish I could That's use it. that on a beer. You know, an even tight harmonizer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so be like three. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That sounds good for me. <laughs> and just buy three beers. Yeah, out of one. <laughs> Yeah, one twelve like pack would be like a, a case. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Like Jesus, like, you know, twelve beers out of one. 
Uh, not to go off track a little bit, but uh, I asked uh, Timo about this earlier. Did you hear the new Iron Maiden song, Neil? I I did watch the video, and I was very impressed with um, the video itself. Mm. And I thought that um, Adrian was phenomenal on the guitar. I mean, I love the guitar sound. I was a little bit mm. taken back by the vocal. Not that Bruce isn't the, one of the most amazing vocalists on the planet, but I thought it was it pretty much started off in a very high register, very, very... Um, push sounding to begin with and i'm i'm a fan of mm -hmm. iron maiden i mean i really loved number of the beast when i saw them live mm -hmm. playing at madison square garden opening for judas priest at the time mm -hmm. and uh of course i was invited backstage to by natalie smith and adrian to go and visit with them i was actually in their dressing room in 2016 mm -hmm. so that was really cool at the forum um i had actually jammed with adrian at a, a bar in malibu so um oh wow that was really an incredible experience so we we played a number of songs but so coming from me you know i'm pretty particular about my singers and pretty particular about you know my songs i thought the song was really interesting i, th I thought the song was cool mm -hmm. i like i really liked the video i thought that was very artistic and i don't know i just thought the vocals were a little bit um very iron maiden sounding i mean mm -hmm. i don't think any iron maiden fans gonna say oh it doesn't sound like iron maiden I just think that the vocals were very, and I only heard it once, so I have to be mm -hmm. fair. You know, I have to give it a second listen. Mm -hmm. But it 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 didn't strike me as uh, aces high. You know, it didn't strike me in that. Kind oh, it's of, not, hasn't been for a while now. Yeah, yeah I mean, aces, for a while. aces high. That would have like that's that it starts lower and it goes up higher. And I've had to sing that song myself in some jams, and and it's a tough song. To sing, you know, Bruce definitely, you know, he's he's quite a singer, quite, you know, he's pushing some air, pushing some energy, moving some energy, but I don't know, it just, it's a different style of singing. I think it's more, you know, Bruce has always been that kind of singer where, you know, you have guys like uh, Tobias Samet and and Jeff Tate, and there was those singers that kind of modeled their singing maybe a bit after Samson and Iron Maiden singer, which yeah. is you know Bruce Dickinson. So I, I would say that that style of singing. I would probably say that I'm more in the Halford direction than I would be in the, the Bruce Dickinson, Jeff Tate direction. You know, it's a little mm -hmm. bit different, like take hold of the flame. It's, it's, you know, queen of the Reich. I would, I would say, yeah, that song, I could sing that that's more in my, my world, but yeah. some of these other things, they, you know, there's certain power metal songs that are maybe a little bit out of my, my world of what I feel like, this is like a, a mm. real solid space for me but you know that's why i was saying i really love nocturnal rights you know i mean with johnny like rob, you know, you, you do like rob rock you know this guy rob rock yeah i've heard rob rock very excellent singer i think he's a very good guy too i think he is it is you know, an interesting question uh neil what's your thoughts on david uh defeats um uh, the vocals from uh first <laughs> no i did actually in 84 <laughs> i did go over to um to france with jack star so I was actually part of his band, even though I didn't sing with him. Because Rhett Forrester was singing, I guess they needed someone just in case because things were kind of shaky back then with Rhett. <laughs> I don't know. Rhett did a fantastic job, Rhett Forrester. But um, yeah, Virgin Steel. You know, I thought they were cool. I mean, I wasn't really like overly one way or another way about Virgin Steel's vocals. I mean, I didn't really. It wasn't really something that. Um, wowed me one way or the other it wasn't you know if you ask me about guy speranza wow 
You know, if you ask me about Bruce Dickinson on Number of the Beast, even Peace of Mind, wow. Yeah, yeah. If you ask me about Halford on pretty much anything old school, wow, you know. Mm. Especially Defenders of the – I mean, Painkiller, obviously, but Defenders of the Faith and earlier, you know, just wow. Oh, yeah. Um, Screaming for Vengeance. That'd yeah, cool yeah that's right in that. I mean, the the – the level that he was singing at the performance level, you know, I've also seen Freddie Mercury live, you know, mm. Mm. I, mean, I mean, a natural prodigy, what you're dealing with with some of these folks is a prodigy, someone who's yeah, a child, yeah. who, Definitely. who out of the box. It was like the best pair of roller skates you ever had, you know, out of the exactly. box, it was the most seamless, the best guitar that didn't need to be modified. It was just out of the box. And, and for those kind of artists that are prodigies, child prodigies, they were fantastic when they started. You know, for someone who's not a prodigy, there's a lot of catching up to do. But then after that, after you get to that same level, then there's maintenance. Mm. And you got to maintain that level. So even those child prodigies have to, even the Stevie Wonders have to maintain their level. You know, they still have to play all the instruments and practice and play the songs. Because, you know, if you don't, how does that song go again? You know, you, you lose, like, even the chord mm. structure. Like, how, how what's the, the, the movement of this? So... I think it's a, a commitment to the spirit of excellence. And I think that some of those singers, like a guy Speranza, he just had it. And even in those early riot albums, they were okay. But whatever happened on fire down under, it just clicked, you know, it was boom. Like right. Byford and Saxon. I mean, wow. Just like early. David actually, David defaced it one track for me in Avalon too. Oh, and nice. Was, because he calls himself romantic barbarian. That's how he calls himself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very true. I like okay. I, yeah, I believe fair that. enough. And then I got this like 30 tracks of vocals. And I'm listening to them like, oh my God. Yeah, I mean I'm sure he's I'm sure he's changed the singer over the years too. You know, I'm sure everybody has yeah. like Ralph Sheepers, you know. I mean, I did a gig with Primal Fear and it was kind of weird because you know it should have been a big warm, you know, welcome to Primal Fear playing for many, many people, but they ended up playing this festival. L.A. Gates of Metal 2, which was in Whittier, California. In 2004, I played with them, with my solo band. And what ended up happening is um, they had this thing about all ages, and it stopped at 10 o'clock. And my band went on and played for 400 people. And then Primal Fear was a headliner of the whole festival, and they played for 50 people because they had to kick out everyone. <laughs> was I mean, under 21. It was ridiculous. And wow. But they put on a performance that was Devil's Ground live. And it was like, you know, nuclear, uh, uh, what was that? I'm trying to remember the name of the song, but they're, they're um, amazing, amazing band. And they, they had their engineer there too. And I was just like blown away from all levels, you know, just the sound of the band. The sound the Germans are good. Germans yeah. are good. In and, and just the performance. And it was like so amazing. And I know you work with Ralph. Ralph, Ralph is a police. He's a police guy. So. Oh, well, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Like his 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 muscle is as big as his head, you know. When you look at the pictures, his <laughs> arm is as his head. It's as big. Yeah, the, he goes the to the gym every the, day. Yeah, the way he's transformed over years, it's it's amazing. It's almost like a different person. I like him very much in the first camera. Yeah. You know, heading for tomorrow. I think it's brilliant on that one. Really, really good. Yeah. I first thought it's a Kiska with more aggression, mm. and I heard it, but it's him, and it's a great record. I, I really love him on that one. So. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, there mm -hmm. that you know, like certain things stand out to me, and I and I appreciate you know those those bands, and there's so many of these bands from from the Nordic countries or from the north, you know, that really um, I appreciate. And you know, we were talking about the new wave of of 
he- heavy metal sort of like a more modern version of that. And there are some really strong bands. Um, that band Riot City, mm. you know, there's some leanings of obviously priests screaming for vengeance with their artwork. Um, you know, the Judas Priest kind of art and mm. also maybe some of that sound. But there's also bands. I'm trying to think of this band that I really liked. I played a festival in Denmark and, um, you know, just some of the, the songwriting. It, let's just put it this way. If you listen to early Accept and kind of when they did Restless and Wild and, mm-hmm. you know, there's just some, some, some attitude and some riffing that's just, it's got a vibe where it's dark and it's just, you know, really sort of technical and just amazing. And some of these bands, they capture that kind of element. There's just this, this, I don't want to call it an avant-garde, but it's just this, this, um, this, this twist on it. You know, it's like when you mm-hmm. hear a band that just has this, this vibe, it just grabs you. I mean, there's bands even out of Japan, a bank, a thrash band called Hellhound that I really like. Mm-hmm. And there's a few bands called that, but th- this band had, you know, the triple flying V attack thing. And they were, they were really cool. And, and there's just certain bands that just kind of, you know, a band that's reformed that I really like from back in the, in the eighties, Sortilege from France. You know, I was really a fan of the bands that would sing in their own native tongue. They would sing in French, you know, bands oh, that would okay. sing in Japanese bands that would sing in Swedish or <laughs> Finnish, you know, the silver mountain days. I like those bands. Because, yeah, silver mountain. <laughs> and then, and then in Germany, you know, you had the bands that were from Germany that played and sang in German and, and wherever country they were from Spain, Baron Rojo, Baron Rojo, Baron Rojo. Yeah. I mean, I loved Angeles del Infierno. I mean, these were bands that played and they sang in their own in their own tongue. So to me, that's where I'm coming from. So I, I know that and I'm aware of it. And there was a band out of France that was a very underrated band that was one of the very, very best heavy metal bands. Who even knows about them? A band called Warning. <laughs> they had a song called Commando. That's how they pronounced it. Commando. And uh, yeah. Very we have cool. beautiful bands in Greece. You have no idea what they have it down there, you know. There's a very yeah. famous band called Marauder, which is their album was called Classics Never Die. You gotta listen to this man in YouTube because that's kind of a thing that's so metal, you know, it's it's yeah. unbelievable. So it's kind of a cult, a cult movement, you know, with these bands. It's it's like they're new but they're old, you know, that's what yeah. they're doing. But for me, I'm old school. I don't have to try hard to be old because I already have that, that, uh, you know, that's my second nature to mm. write songs that might be from the seventies or something. Cause that's what I listen to, you know, that's what I, I like. I mean, but I'm also open to the new school, the new, new forms of art, like, you know, Timo and I were talking about like, you know, even Sam Smith, Ed Sheeran, there's a guy out of Australia that I'm a big fan of guy, Sebastian, amazing singer, prodigy. And also of okay. course, Jimmy Barnes and Cole Chisel. I mean, I I'm open to, all types of great, great music. And Cold Chisel was like the journey of Australia, the working man's, you know, rock and roll. Well, Wayne, Wayne, I think it's okay. clear enough that this guy's a music lover, right? I think so. Yeah. So it might be. Yeah, I mean, it's, be. I, think, I think what comes out of that is, is great, great ideas and, you know, having a diverse mm-hmm. input and, and understanding. And, and, and I think what we're seeing today is a very uh, tunnel tunnel approach to some of the music it's like okay well you got to be this or you got to be that i remember when i went to france and the skinheads were after me because i had long hair and um you know because musicians would discriminate against each other 
like punks versus metal. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of punk, there's punk metal, and there's punks that love metal and metal's, metal that love punk, you know, both ways, metalheads. Mm. And, you know, you wouldn't think that they would be discriminating and violently attacking each other, but that's what was there in the 80s. You know, you had, right. it's like the mods and the rockers in the 60s. It's uh, like, mm-hmm. what ridiculousness. Like, you got to, oh, we got to hate your music because you don't like our music and we don't like yours. But that's the ignorance and the discrimination. And, you know, that's that's the media and that's the society that we are still in because they still want to push that, even though people with common sense and, and with any kind of intelligence, you know, don't want don't want, you know, fear energy. They want love energy. They don't want this, mm-hmm. this, this, you know, stuff like that. But when I whenever I feel that, it's like, OK, well, you know, you guys can hang out together and Next have, session. Have, have, I'll go with the lovers, not the haters, you know. That's a good ending point, Wayne. I think I gotta go I, because my battery is. I was just gonna finished. say because I would imagine your battery is probably dying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a very beautiful set thing, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and I just want to thank Zoom because they they didn't shut us they didn't shut us down they let us I'm roll. Cool. I paid for this. I, I paid, you for, paid this for this. So I can yeah. uh, broadcast it on YouTube live. So. Oh well, that's, that's okay. Well then, then I I want to thank Wayne. I'm gonna send you the circle. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's really the way to, to do it the right way, a classy way. And thank you. It is the right way to do it. And uh, yeah, we, you got to figure that Zoom would have shut us down by now, right? Yeah, no, I'll probably <laughs> do the free one definitely. But uh, I'll get your your address and I'll send you the bill and and you can pay for it. Oh, great. Okay, but, well, uh, we'll have to go out make some money, Timo. We got to go and <laughs> yeah, we got to make some money. We got to do some extra shirts and yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. a meet and greet and give them like a watermelon filled with vodka. Then they'll they'll throw up to get some money for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, uh, we don't I need think, the watermelon. Both guys enough. Uh, but I thank you, uh, Neil, very much for coming on the show. And as always, I thank you, Timo, as well, for inviting Neil on the show. And I can't wait to see the tour. Um, Neil, actually, I do a King Diamond podcast, and I would like you to come on at, at some point. Wow. If you would ever have time to. to sing King Diamond? I don't know. No, it's a podcast. I don't, I don't want you to so. sing. That's a lot. <laughs> now, that's hard. Now, you want to talk about hard? That is hard. Now, there's some people that sing that. I know. I, I Mark, actually had somebody that told me he could sing King Diamond, sent me a Mark, video of himself Mark, singing, and it was terrible. Mark Lopes from um, from uh, Ross the Boss, he sings right. that stuff. Actually, he, we had it at my uh, Nam Metal Jam when we when I was organizing the show, and I actually had him singing some King Diamond songs. So he he sings that. You know, you gotta it's got to be in your wheelhouse, and it's got to be something that you you know if it's normal for you to do, like. Like I sing Donnie Hathaway and Layla Hathaway and some of these very deep, soulful songs. And if it's in your wheelhouse and you practice it, yeah, like singing, singing Stevie Wonder Runs, like that's in my wheelhouse because I practice it and I like singing that. So, yeah. But the average person, like I one time I auditioned for Riot and, you know, I thought, oh, great. They're going to have me sing like, you know, uh, uh, Swords and Tequila. Yeah. Nope. They didn't want me to sing the heavy metal stuff. This is a 1985. And right in the winter, it was like zero degrees out. So they had me come in there. I I was so cold and like shaking. So I drank a whole bunch of coffee. So then I was shaking even worse. And then I went to sing Restless Breed. That was what they had me audition. And it was really a Paul Rogers kind of an approach song. That's what Red Forrester had on there. So I didn't have my, my, my knife was not sharp in that, in that direction. So I had to sharpen my knife very sharp in that direction. So (laughs) ever since that experience in 1985, yes, that's, I could sing that Paul Rogers stuff inside and out. Mm-hmm. That's what I studied. But back then I didn't. And I just had to tell that story because like, that's a, like an added bonus because, you know, 
it's like if you haven't practiced that, then it's going to be really hard to come out and sing King Diamond because yeah. King Diamond is a unique voice, and wow, is it high, and wow, is it's it very high. high. And if you've seen King Diamond live, yeah. like not only does he sing high, and it sounds a certain way on record, but oh my God, he does the shit live perfection to perfection, exactly. unbelievable. And 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 his band and Andy LaRock and Matt Thompson and and the other guys, you know, um, you know. Uh, Pontus Egberg and uh, and, and uh, uh, Mike Weed. I mean, unbelievable team, unbelievable band. But what King does, it, it, he rises to the very top of it, and you know, it's it, it's 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 remarkable. I mean, the Little Rascals had a show, and it said "remarkable." Like I think it was Spanky or someone that said "remarkable." Um, I think it was the guy Beretta who did that. Yeah. Remarkable. It was fucking remarkable. It was remarkable what King Diamond does live. And like, wow, if you thought it was like a fake voice, you heard it on the record. When you see him live, it's like, man, this thing's really coming out of his, his voice. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's exactly the same. Like, my yeah. God. Like, I don't even want to try to do that. But no, it's I don't want you to thing. sing. I want you to come on the podcast and talk about it. <laughs> all right. I don't right, need right, you to sing on. King Diamond. That's not, that's not what I, I got to go, guys. <laughs> go all right, get out of so. here. I want to go to Finland. Let's go. Let's go. But I do. You're welcome. Uh, you can get out of here. I'll talk to Neil. People still like Neil, so they want okay. to Okay. See you. Bye bye. Thank you. We love you, team. We the best. Thank you. Love you too. Bye, Neil. Bye. See you Take later, team. See you. But all right. Uh, and yeah, I'm gonna so. have to go too because uh, I I got somewhere to go too. But um, you're free to leave. Bye it's bye. really awesome to to be part of this. Thank you so much, Wayne, for the invite. No problem. I'm glad to meet you. I've always uh, wanted to meet you. You know, I saw some uh, interviews you've done with the the Metal Voice and stuff like that, and and heard hearing your new songs with the the death rider stuff and uh always anticipated you doing some new music because you know obviously the only thing i really have yours is the anthrax fistful of metal thing and uh you've got a great voice so i like to hear you, you doing more stuff you do know that i also co-wrote and sang backups on the last quiet riot album with frankie benali so on uh, hollywood cowboys i actually co-wrote uh, a couple of songs with with frankie benali and with neil citron um the songs are called um Insanity is one of them, mm. and Change or Die. Okay, and that's on the, the on Hollywood Cowboys on Frontier Records for Quiet Riot. So, you know, to me it was like, wow, really? You wanted me to co-write? Like, I sang on on a, on I sang on an album with Frankie and with Chuck Wright uh, back in 1986. But for Frankie to come to me and you know ask me, hey man, I'd like to write some songs with you and co collaborate. It's like that was just blown away because I know Quiet Riot was the first heavy metal band to be number one on the billboard charts with a bullet and right. you know 10 times platinum and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, these guys are coming to me to mm. co-write a song. I'm like, I mean, I don't forget about stuff like that. You know, it's hard to disremember mama on something like that. I mean, I remember, right. yeah. I remember, I remember, you know, yeah, yeah that's and, awesome. Yeah. And, I mean- and and that and those songs is a story just in, in in themselves. So I won't tell it now. But but what an experience! And uh, you know, so sad that Frankie passed after you know soon after, mm. I, I believe like six months or so after. It was just really unfortunate and terrible. But but I'm glad I had the opportunity. And uh, you know, I also had the opportunity to play live with Frankie and with Chuck Wright. And uh, you know, playing uh, Use Thrall. You know, Glenn Use, Pat Thrall. So mm. I was a big fan of Use Thrall. And Frankie was a drummer on, on those songs. So getting a chance to play with him on a Use Thrall song was a thrill. And I'm, you know, a friend of Glenn Hughes for a long time. So from Deep Purple. So he, you know, I've always been a fan. And then 
you know, I became friendly with Glenn through Claude Schnell from Dio. Mm. One, one Thanksgiving, we, you know, had Thanksgiving together way back when in the nineties. And, um, you know, I always heard, Hey, Glenn lives in your neighborhood and all this kind of stuff at the time. And I never met him. Mm. I still never met him. And then all of a sudden he's at Thanksgiving dinner. So, you know, I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then one day I found myself in the car with, with Glenn, with Glenn Hughes and Keith Emerson. Oh, wow. And Keith Emerson hands me his phone. He says, Hey man, I heard, you know, about, I, I heard, you know, a lot about technology. So I want you to program my phone. And I'm like, <laughs> program a number for me. I'm like, I'm looking at him saying, wait a second. You're Keith Emerson, the guy who wrote brain salad surgery. Right. <laughs> You're the boob guy. You got all these keyboards and like what a lucky man he was. And you had, and I had this album when I was like 13 years old. My, my cousin gave it to me with the Eagle on the cover and Emerson Lake and Palmer. And I'm like, the guy from Emerson Lake and Palmer is giving you his phone to program. Like <laughs> shit was going through my brain. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. And these were like the real rock royalty guys. Like these, like those guys were real rock royalty. I mean, you're talking Emerson Lake and Palmer and deep purple and I'm mm. like the anthrax guy, whatever. But it's like, <laughs> Holy smokes. Like that was just, it's just so mind blowing to me to put yeah. myself back in that, that moment. And we're going to some Chinese restaurant in Palos Verdes at the time. Wow. But wow. That's that awesome. was, uh, yeah, my, my, my father-in-law is a huge ELP fan. And, um, I, Keith Emerson was going to like one of those um, conventions in New Jersey, like a horror convention or something. And uh, I knew he was going to be there. So my friend was going there. So I gave him the uh, Tarkus record to sign for my, uh, my, uh, my father-in-law and I gave it to him for Christmas and he opened it up and saw it. Cause I, I, I took his record. He didn't even know I took his own record and I got it signed for him and he opened That's it up. That's so and- amazing story. Yeah. And you know, Keith Emerson was such a wonderful, kind person, you know, a lovely human being. And, you know, a, a humble and nice person and very intelligent and, and you know, witty and, and cool person. And I remember talking to him about, you know, Lemmy, Lemmy, Lemmy Kilmister being his roadie when he was in the band The Nice. So it's just, you know, it all it all interconnects somehow. And it's like, here I am. Who would ever think, you know, the anthrax guy was I mean, maybe they don't see me as the anthrax guy, but I mean, I was an anthrax. So I guess that's. Well, I was at the time because that's the band that you associate me from if I'm hanging out with those guys and, you know, the Deep Purple guy and the ELP guy. So but just to be hanging around those guys and, you know, Keith treated me like an equal, you know, just treated me. You know, it wasn't like they had some big ego thing going on. Yeah, yeah. real friendly and, and all talking to one another. And, you know, it was it was just really. And then we and then we had uh, Lawrence Tolhorse from The Cure. He was also hanging with us at one point and and also Claude Schnell. And, you know, so it was kind of like you have all these bands that are bigger than the one I was in (laughs) all big time bands. And, but these guys are all cool and, you know, we're all friends and we go to the movies or we go hang out and have, have uh, some, some fish and chips at the, the English pub. And, you know, just a great group of people and, but that's what we were doing. And this wasn't like to impress anyone or to be on social media and take selfies. I mean, this was like what we did. Hmm, yeah. We didn't have to take a picture of our food and post it on Facebook or something. You know, it was just like, we're just hanging out and talking and, and it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And, but I, but I really appreciate people that are real people that are genuine and people that are authentic and, hmm. you know, people that are full of shit. I mean, there's a lot of people that will try to demonize you and try to, 
you know, say, oh, look out for Neil. He's got such an ego or he's this bad person or he's so hard to work with. You know, it's hard to work with anybody that's got an idea, right. especially right. if you don't like their idea and you want to use your idea. Right. You know, it's like, well, if that's an agenda that someone has, but I never, you know, just like with Timo, I never come in with, oh, well, you have to use my idea. No. Mm. If it was my band and it was like my name, well, you know, it's kind of going in a direction of my input, but if it's a band that is like, you know, it's Timo and Neil, it's like, well, whatever he wants to do, we'll do it. Hmm. I'm not out to tell him, tell Timo what to do. We got to, we got to collaborate. You know, there's a, there's a rubber meets the road part where, you know, if it's all one-sided, then, you know, maybe both sides get to have some input, but, you know, I never want to force anything. I always want to let it occur naturally, the natural mm-hmm. flow, you know, because mm-hmm. that's so important. And you never want to have all that. Like, it's it's a working situation. You always want to have it so people are, are collaborating and they're doing what they do best. Right. Not everybody is good at everything. You know, people are good at certain things. And it's like some people are good at putting the icing on the cake and some people are good at baking the cake. Yeah, exactly. And some, yeah, people, are good the... at, some people are good at buying the ingredients at the store. So, you know, it's all part of And some people are good at cleaning it all up. Um, I would like to be good at any of those things, but that's what makes, that's what makes things unique. I'm good at eating the cake. Oh yeah. That's, I have no problem with that either. But (laughs) uh, yeah, that definitely, you know, that's what sucks about being in the band. Sometimes you just, you know, you work with people that you don't uh, click with, you know, and and things happen. But so far, you know, from meeting you for these past, shit, how long have we been on here? Like two and a half hours. Uh, You're cool with me. So just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of course we're cool with you wayne and i thank you so much for for the opportunity today and you know it's just about being you know being um flexible being adaptable being reasonable being professional being understanding being intuitive all of these things and you know with someone of of timo's level you know i want him to do the the best that he does and let him do what he does you know you can't interfere with that you can't tangle someone up when you want to get the flow the right way. And, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, I throw some ideas his way, but that's not like, Hey man, we have to do this. Or we have to do that. It's like, you do what you do. And if this happens to work out or fit in, then great. And if it doesn't, you know, maybe it could be used for something else or if it, if it's good enough to fit in somewhere, maybe it's yeah. a stupid idea or maybe it's a cool idea. Who knows? But, right. you know, I, I was inspired to come up with some ideas and I did send them his way. I wasn't, I wasn't ashamed or, or shy about doing that because I think, you know, he was saying he's writing on the song and I said, Oh, wait a second. You know, I kind of could come up with a, an idea for this. So let me see if that's, you know, we'll find out, hmm. you know, we'll find out if it, if it makes sense. And if not, maybe it makes sense for something else. And even if it doesn't make sense for something else, Hey, I wrote something and I can use it for something else I'm doing. So, you know, yeah. I'm not really worried about that. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm coming from. I'm not coming from a place where, you know, I think I, I need to put my name, on songs, you know, there's, there's songs I've written where other people put their name on the song. They didn't even write a part in it. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the disturbing thing. And these are big name bands. It's like, wow, really? You know, your name's on it, but what part did you write? That should be the question <laughs> in the interview. Which right. part did you come up with? Yeah. And then right. there's people that don't get credit that didn't even get their name on the, the song where they came up with a part. So it's like, you know, people that are just trying to put their name or put, you know, written by the band's name. But the band didn't even write it. It was like two people in the band and they put everyone else's name on kind of right. thing. So it's kind of right. like, what is this? You know, what what's going on here? It's like, you know, we're run by communists or something. I mean, what what's going on? That's because <laughs> that's the way that 
that song it should never be like that that's not that's not coming from love energy you know what i mean it's just mm-hmm. yeah. but that is uh yeah so so artistically i really like working with people that are, are about love and about you know collaboration and working together and you know they, they and if they can appreciate you know people that appreciate you if they don't appreciate me then that's okay they can appreciate my absence because that's what they're going to get sounds good that's, yeah. that's you know what they don't like it don't watch it that's that's uh, really what it comes down to yeah i mean i just want to be around people that appreciate me and i appreciate them and you know there's a mutual respect and these days you know it's it's not changed from old days where respect is earned or trust right. is earned right but to expect that you get trust or that you're entitled to trust uh-uh nobody's entitled to trust unless they earn it and respect right. is something they should have people should be respectful if they don't have respect, maybe their parents didn't teach them about respect. Right. Exactly. You no, know, but that's that's the world we're in. It's like a crazy backwards world now because, um, <laughs> you know, the parents yeah. don't control the world. And even if the parents did, you know, where are they getting their, their instructions from? You know, like where did they learn how to raise their kids? Like there's some people that really do a good job raising their kids and giving them good, you know, g- giving them a really solid uh, foundation and, and great backbone. But then there's people that, you know, they raise their kids on, on sitcoms or something and they raise their kids on, on, on social media and they raise them on. So the, the consciousness and the level of what is acceptable, it's even if the kid has a good uh, foundation and, and rearing, you know, they go to school and they get all these bad influences from mm. social media and the media and all this garbage that's separating the family unit, not bringing people together. Yeah. It's definitely scary times. I got a five-year-old and I'm afraid to send him to school. Yeah. Well, there you have it. I mean, it's like, if you could homeschool, it'd be much better, but it's, yeah, exactly. it's all about, you know, the, what to believe and what not to believe. Right. And it goes yeah. back to that same concept that, that uh, Timo had said the word conspiracy. And it's not a conspiracy if, if it's reality, right. If it's yeah. a fact, you know, it's a bad word that was used to, to say, Oh, there's a conspiracy. Well, what's a conspiracy if it's a damn fact. Yeah. You know, when, when does it become a fact? And everyone says, you know, this is not a conspiracy. This is a fact. Right. But I, I just stay out of those conversations because I don't I don't need to be like included in, in that concept. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not going to be part of, uh, you know, conspiratorial conversations because because what I talk about is facts that I read and that I can that I can actually um, that I can actually attribute to actual facts. Right. Like if you ask me a straight question, like what's in a certain thing, I can tell you the ingredients mm. and because I do that kind of research. Right. And I talk to people who are biochemists and I talk to people who are, you know, have a electron microscope and I, and I read the papers, the white papers, and I've got papers and I've looked at them and I look at the underlying information. I want to know the depth of and the detail of things. Hmm. That's just who I am. You know, I'm, I'm interested in that. And, you know, and then there's people that they don't even read anything. They just go along with stuff, you know, right? Yeah. like, Hey, go to the top of the mountain and jump off like a good lemming. <laughs> you I mean, should listen to uh, there's a good podcast out there called uh, the infinite fringe. I think you would really like that. Yeah, I, I just, you know, the problem is there's so much uh, misinformation and disinfo agents out there. And there's so many, there's so much billions of dollars of, of, of billionaires that are trying to manipulate and control things that 
you know, the world we live in is no longer right. let's do what's good for the interest of everybody and common people, you know. That's what it's, that podcast is about. It's it's yeah. about revealing the truth and like, you know, what stuff you believe in as well. So but but people are so dumbfounded and so, so, you know, the thing that they don't understand is that we were being lied to back in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. They had commissions that were made to disinform people and the lie to people. And information was being withheld from us. So they've kept that tradition up. Now, certain governments, certain entities have released certain information over time, like, you know, right, of course, about, uh, I mean, even the Pentagon released information about actual, you, you know, unidentified aerial phenomenon right. and chase situations that were happening. Mm-hmm. But everybody was wearing a tinfoil hat up until that point. But all of a sudden, you know, the Pentagon releases it. Oh, it's okay no, now. It's, it's okay. To, yeah. You know, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, information. Oh, everyone's, you know, oh, oh well, now it's okay to believe this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you don't know if something is intergalactic you don't know if it's interdimensional, if the energy came from somewhere else. You don't know. Right. You don't know all the information. You don't know about, you know, spiritual uh, factors that, you know, the energy. I mean, energy, like, like it goes back to, to um, Einstein. Mm. Matter is neither created or destroyed. So right. it transforms. And that's what we are as musicians, as artists. We're transforming energy. So that's why I'm interested in it. And we're transforming energy, but also life transforms. Your body is a capsule. It's a container, but that energy, it comes from somewhere mm-hmm. and it goes somewhere. And regardless of whatever you want to believe, whatever anyone that's listening wants to believe reality is it comes from somewhere. It goes somewhere. And what I do on this planet is I move that energy while it's in a body and I try to turn it into music. Mm. And, but there's a lot more to it and understanding that energy and how to, you know, how to hit certain notes, how to hold certain notes, how to, you know, play fast, slow, different tempos, different dynamics, different, um, you know, textures, different vibrations, frequencies. All of these things are becoming a master of those frequencies and trying to manage those. So you really get an insight if you really use critical thinking to understand some of these other things. And, you know, the things that they've developed with, uh, weapons and the technology you know the navy has sonar scalar weapons mm-hmm. i mean these things exist i mean they can make you not want to stand up right. you, know, you want to get on the floor because it's so the low end vibration and that's the damaging frequencies those low low vibration frequencies not the high ones but the low ones because mm-hmm. they're so damaging and so powerful and you know but they also have you know other things that they can do like if they can make you feel pain from that well they can also move rocks what's the big deal Right. Is that so hard to believe that they have, they can create these vibration frequencies that can move things? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, look at our phones, you know, look how technically uh, advanced the phones have gotten now. Yeah. It's just, it, it keeps going amazing. down the rabbit hole and yeah. you know, the things that devious people will do to try to keep things secret. So they have an upper hand while you're not aware of what's going on. You're just thinking about, Oh, it's a nice sunny day. And you didn't think anyone's drilling something under the, the ground and making a big city underneath the ground. And they're, you know, hiding all the stuff in secret compartments or they're, they're hiding stuff with secret meetings. Where do you think things get decided in secret meetings? Right. When people are in the room, when mom and dad are in the room and they're talking about what they're going to buy you as a present, their son, and you didn't get to know about it. But then all of a sudden, wow, they got me a bike. That was nice. You know, that's a secret meeting that happened and it was a nice thing, but they also do things the other way and have secret meetings. They don't want people to know. 
Yeah, because if you don't know who your enemy is, you don't know who, who the enemy is, the invisible enemy, and you don't know what you're up against. And then that means they have an upper hand and an advantage. And I think that we need disclosure. We need people to, you know, give us, you know, stop withholding information from we the people. And, and that's what's going on. But, you know, unfortunately, you've got um, you've got the, uh, the, 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 the medical industrial complex, the military industrial complex, the global industrial complex. When have you ever heard of a world that shut down with all right. countries cooperating? Yeah. Have you ever heard of such a thing? No, I have not. Yeah, that's that in itself is the thing to be aware of. Right. Like, who has the power? And also, you know, getting everyone to go bankrupt so they owe you money, mm-hmm. that's one way to control them. So I'll leave it at home and, yep. The economical industrial complex, all of these things, that's who people should be worried about. I'm not really worried about, you know, like I'll look on the, I'll look on the numbers and, and see what, what the number charts are showing. And, you know, it depends where you get those numbers from. Are you getting it from a family that controls the numbers or are you getting it from an honest place? And how are they manipulating those numbers? If you're not asking those questions as, as a sovereign human, then I guess you don't care about asking questions or you just don't know the, to ask the right questions. Cause like, I guess I guess it sucks to have critical thinking and it, and it sucks to, to know the real truth versus a contrived, you know, packaged, manipulated truth. Like, right. it seems like most people want to hear a manipulated truth and be OK with that. Like, oh, that's right. OK. Yeah. I just want to hear the bullshit truth, not the real truth. No, right. I want to hear the real truth. I want to know how much it's going to hurt and I want to know, you know, how deep they're going to drill. Mm. And when I go to the dentist, I go there and I don't take shots or Novocaine. Because I hate the shots worse than I hate the drilling, just really? to be honest. <laughs> so I've had them drill my teeth without anything. And they're like, oh my God. are you sure? I say, the last guy, last person that did this, they were from Russia. Wow. Like, yeah, I'm not into torture, but, you know, I don't want to, like, after you do all this stuff, then get hungry and then have to go to eat something. And then I bite my lip because it's all. Right. Yeah. And then you got another problem. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it hurts, but. I didn't say it doesn't hurt and I don't, you know, tear up or something, but and I'm not Superman, but it's just, just like, I'd rather know the truth. I'd rather know the real stuff. Right. Lemmy said it best. The truth hurts. People don't like the truth. Yep. Some people do like the truth. I wish more people liked the truth. How about that? Right. But the people that like the truth are getting, uh, you know, called names and, you know. Oh yeah. They're, 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 they're changing the perception of what the truth is. They want to make the truth tell a lie enough times so people believe it as a truth. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's the problem that we're up against. And it's, it's a bigger problem than people really realize. It's not just what they're promoting in the media. They've learned how to use the media as a tool to, um, you know, misinform people and people go along with it. So mm. I think we're going to find out what happens next. I mean, yeah, but, definitely going to be very interesting times. But I, I just look at it. I just look at things in, in re- realistic terms and substantive terms. If it isn't, isn't substantive and real, you know, and I trust science, real mm-hmm. science, mm-hmm. not bullshit contrived science, real mm-hmm. science. And you can't change the meaning of something to fit your agenda to make your science make sense to some people who are gullible enough to believe it. 
because they don't really know. You see, what you're dealing with is people that don't really understand it. So they just have to believe what sounds like it makes sense to them. But I want to know the real science. I'd rather know what physics, you know, scientists and physics professors know. I'd rather know what, what quantum science, I mean, quantum physics was a part of, of science that scientists hated because it's a spirit. It's like a, a metaphysical side that they don't like the, you know, they understand the textbook science, but they don't understand the, this, this quantum stuff, this, what, you inject a personality in there, like, like a spaceship that's two miles long that is actually a, a biomechanical one. It's not just mm. a, a a craft that has you know instruments, but it has like an appetite and an attitude. I mean, once it once you, I mean, they've got ones that are two miles long. Hello, right. I mean, yeah. the footage is right there on our own. You know, this is not a, a conspiratorial idea. It's it's right there on our own NASA. Um, uh, 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 was it NASA? Was it uh, Discovery? No, either Discovery or Columbia. One of those. There's actual footage of where they show um, a tether that broke off from you know a NASA ship on NASA's own footage. Okay, yeah. And it's a mile long, kind of like a cosmic ruler, and it shows that there's um, there's things that are swarming behind it and in front of it. Mm. You know, how do you make that stuff up? This is on footage that's been out there, so they've. So NASA had the footage out there and, you know, this is what was seen. And, you know, these things, they look very interesting and they're gigantic and some of them are, are miles long. And that's one type. Who knows what other types, you know, who knows, like, we don't know all the things to know, but it's obvious that there's something there. And it wasn't just some air balloons out in the middle of space that were weather balloons going around the just circle. Around. Yeah. So, so bottom line is that, yeah, there's, there's stuff out there in space. Sure there is. And, and, you know, then there's the, the conversation about the Milky Way. Can you even get past the Milky Way? Mm. You know, that, that's another question. Can you navigate with all these flying rocks all around you? Can you even get there? Or is it too dangerous? I mean, if you tried doing that down a street with a bunch of potholes and boulders everywhere, you're probably going to smash up your car. So how do you do that when you're flying in space? And, you know, right. space is kind of different than just being in, in our atmosphere around Earth. So there's a number of factors to consider and, and who's lying and who's telling the truth, you know, and everything's in gray, you know, all the stuff mm. from NASA, you got everything in gray. So nothing's color out there. They want us to believe that it's all gray, grayscale. Um, I think not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think not. Okay. But, but there, it, it just keeps going. And it's like, you know, intelligence would just have me believe that like everything's in gray. Well, yeah. When they took these gray, uh, images and they and they colorize them with basic software from the internet nothing fancy not even photoshop just basic software that's free freeware they were able to see stuff inside of craters inside of all sorts of things on planets that you know were fascinating hmm. that indicated that there was things like mining operations and other types of, of things that make sense you know you would go to a planet because you want the resources of that planet right that's why you'd right. go to a planet, wouldn't you? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a reason that one country would go to another country? They want uh, silk or they want gold or they want, you know, rice yeah, or food or yep. brains or whatever. Or they want to conquer. I mean, these are those, these are the stories of history. So, right. I don't know. That's just the way my brain works. I kind of think logically like that. And if people think that that makes me crazy, then I guess then I'm crazy. But I'm still logical because it's based on logic, not craziness. 
No, I don't think he's crazy at all. That's all right. I but, you know, but most people don't have time to think about the stuff. They're thinking about how to put food on the table and how, you know, what their kids want. And, right. That's, and that's you know, what how they're making everybody, you know, they don't have time to look all this stuff up. So. They think day to day. They don't think big picture. But I, I just try to understand the stuff. And I try to think about, you know, what are the Leonardo da Vinci's? What were they thinking? And what were, you know, the so- Socrates thinking? What were, you know, um, Carl Sagan? Mm. Some of these folks have, you know, great writings and there's things to understand. Yeah. William Shakespeare. I mean, I, I love those kind of uh, writers because there's just such great detail and information. So you look at that and then you compare it with the information that's available and not what's in the media, but what's archeologically available. Hmm. Archeology doesn't lie. Right. You know, there's no one to give a narrative. So I like not archeology. span You know, I'd rather look at the rings of a tree. Hmm. It'll tell you which years were lean and which ones weren't and which were, you know, oversaturated with rain. So Very cool. Well, I guess I guess that's who's not lying is the archaeologists. <laughs> well, I mean, you, the you know, politicians that are. Lying. Yeah, you you uh, really study your stuff, man. I, I'm really glad that you came on the show. Yeah, you got to know what you're talking about, or otherwise, you keep your mouth shut. That's what I think. I zip right. my lip, but I mean, yeah. I'm not here to I'm not here to train anyone. I'm not here to try to tell people like I know something. I'm just trying to I'm just paying attention, you know, and and it doesn't make sense. Right. Some of the things that happen. Don't, don't make sense. They make no sense. Right. And, and especially the information that was leaked out to the public or not leaked out. Like JFK makes no sense. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. Why, hmm. why, why they wanted oh, to do right. something, but, but the way they explained that, what happened, the way it went down right. makes no sense. And also whatever happened in Las Vegas, that makes no sense. Yeah. But I know some information that I've heard, but, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, we're not supposed to even talk about these things. We're not supposed to question. Know, you're probably getting me kicked off of YouTube now. No, we're not. <laughs> well, no, I didn't say anything. You're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to question anything. I know. That's why you're I'm just supposed to go along and be a good little fall, you know, good little sheeple and do what you're told. So right. don't get kicked off because I, I want to talk about music. I'm not here to talk about other stuff. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> if if if. If you saw something in the sky, then you saw something, you know, then you saw it. And I, you know, it doesn't matter what I say. It's what you experience. I've seen something and I can say that I was with other band members that were in the vehicle with me, two other band members. And we're looking right at it. Mm. And I, and I said to the other band members, you see what I'm seeing? You see what I'm seeing? I'll save it for a book or something, but it's, it's like that. So it wasn't just my imagination and other people saw it. And then when we came back and drove the same way, it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So, it was something that's that's I could prove that it was something because right. two other guys saw it too. And they saw it, said this, they saw it. So, and that's, and that's a whole nother uh, conversation. That's for another time. But anyway, it's a pleasure, Wayne. Thank you so much. Yes. And uh, I'd like to have you on my regular podcast at some other time and, you know, come on and, and uh, talk about whatever you want. Yeah. I rather, you know, go with uh, things that people can more easily um, adhere to or understand because you know when you start going into the uh, you know too deep off the road then <laughs> yeah, people... you're out in the woods you know people don't don't really you know unless it's something it's it's almost like music you know if they they never heard of that band or they never yeah, listened yeah, to the yeah. music of that band they don't really right, they won't know the catalog to it. right they exactly. don't know the deep cuts right like if you ask someone about Kansas okay ask them about uh, Portrait what do they think of that song Paradox yeah I'm not a Kansas you know, fan. Do you know the melody of Paradox, the portrait? Mm. 
I'm not into Kansas, so I can't. That's see, there, that's what I mean. It's like <laughs> it, it's those are some of my favorite songs, but people wouldn't know it unless right. they know it. Right. And, exactly. and it's that kind of thing. And that's why I asked that question. It's like if, if you don't really know it, then it's kind of like not maybe it's not of interest because you're not really into them. It's not your mm-hmm. thing. Like right. some people love Rush. And right. Some people don't listen to Rush. Right. So if you ask them about, you know, Rush Hemispheres, you know, yeah. the Temple of the Trees or something. <laughs> yeah, they ain't going to know. Yeah. But what a what a fantastic band! So anyway, pleasure, Wayne, and uh, sorry to keep going here. I'm, hey, I'm... that's okay. Like I said, you're, you've been really cool, and I'm glad that you came on the show on the Timo Tolki podcast. We're actually still on YouTube Live, and and people keep saying uh, we need Neil back for another episode. So thank you, I appreciate that, that, and I appreciate everyone listening. And uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I probably took it off the road pretty hard, but you know, you hey, did, but it's all right. I like talking about that stuff. So we do cool. we do things we want to do, and. Um, we don't we don't march to uh you know the, the the man who tells us how it should be because we just want to be ourselves and just you know have ex- and be able to express have the freedom of expression and and you know that's that's what critical thinking is being able to you know sometimes you spout off stuff off your mind hopefully it's a good day and we come up with witty stuff and funny stuff and sometimes you know you might say stupid jokes and they're not funny so those are the days <laughs> to probably not to zip the lip right but Exactly. Um, do you have a website that somebody can go to to just see Absolutely, all of your stuff? Yes. Uh, deathriders.com. You could also, if you want vocal lessons directly, one on one, master session, uh, vocalfirepower.com. You can check that out. Some good info on there. Again, vocalfirepower.com, uh, deathriders.com. You could also hit me up on Instagram, deathriders. And also, I'm on TikTok, deathriders, and also, or Neil Turbin on TikTok, and then on uh, Twitter, Death, deathriders, and uh, on Facebook, Death Riders as well, and there's also Neil Turbin on on uh, Death Riders, and also Bleed the Hunger on uh, on on Facebook and Instagram. Well, very cool. So we're everybody. we're all around on social media and even on Twitter. Awesome. So everybody, please go follow Neil and go check out all his stuff. And uh, I do uh, on my podcast channel as well. We also have been doing cover songs, and at some point maybe I can get you on a cover song. Wow, sounds like fun. Well, we can try for that and I'll, uh, try to, I'll keep in contact with you but that'd be cool yeah i know they've been doing a lot of that stuff yeah since covid i i, I just thought you know it would be kind of cool to start doing stuff so we just did uh, i don't know if you know who lisa mann is she's a very good uh blues singer but she's also called white crone she does like a heavy metal band wow. on the side and uh, check that out i don't know I, I don't know if i've heard of her or not to be honest because definitely uh, if you if you like kiss uh we did the cover of reason to live and she sang the whole thing and she did an wow. awesome awesome job so you can find it on the uh, our YouTube channel. Well, I got a bit of work to do at Timo, so I would probably yeah, have you to got find plenty it for a while until after our tour. <laughs> but, um, you we know, for, for for learning songs because I'm dedicated to working on the songs with Timo. Yep, and I can't wait to hear what you guys got coming out because that's going to really be awesome. When I saw that thank you, you two are going to be working together, I, I can't wait to hear what's going to come out of that. So, thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you, Wayne. Take care, and all the best to everyone out there. And thanks for listening, and thanks for tuning in, and. Uh, Rat salad, baby. <laughs> you got it. Ratsaladreview.com. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Thanks, All, All right. Yep, you too. Bye.